You're listening to Gamer Podcast. I'm Eric from the Gamer.com editorial team, and this week we're talking all about Borderlands spinoff Tiny Tina's Wonderland, after that Ghostwire Tokyo, and finally Kirby and the Forgotten Lands. Let's go! Welcome to the show. The news team has assembled. We have George Foster. Hello, hello. We have Lou Hailiang. Hey. And we have Izzy Vanderveld. Hello. Let's get into the news. Uh, we usually cover the news of the week, but this is going to be apparently the news of yesterday and today because <laughs> that, that's when everything happened. Uh, of course, as you're listening to us, it'll be a few days old, but uh, our top story of the week is the reveal of PlayStation spartacus or i guess as it's called just place the new playstation plus there isn't really a name for it is there the service formerly known as playstation plus yeah and and currently also known as playstation plus right (laughs) so uh we knew this was coming um and it's exactly what we thought it was going to be yep um so let's discuss that it is a tiered uh revamp of PlayStation Plus that combines both uh, PlayStation Now and PlayStation Plus together. There are three tiers. The first tier is your standard PlayStation Plus, which includes online play, your two or three games a month that you get, cloud save, just everything it already is, and it's the same price. So, like, basically just no changes. Yeah. The second yeah, if, tier... If you're a PS Plus subscriber already nothing has nothing to change changes. for you. Yeah, you yeah. can just you can just act like nothing's different. Yeah. Uh now you can upgrade to PS Plus Plus. No. Premium. Premium. <laughs> PS Plus Premium. Uh which is in the States is a five dollar upcharge, so fifteen a month. Uh this will get you a stable library of PS4 and PS5 games. We don't know what those are going to be, but those are going to be downloadable, non-streaming, uh, a catalog of uh, PS4 and PS5, which is kind of interesting. We already have a PS4 library that's included with PS Plus, which they didn't really talk about what's going to happen to that. Remember when the PS5 launched, they, they all the PS Plus oh, yeah. subscribers got 20 PS4 games. I think that's 30, the PS Plus collection. Yes. I believe that's 30 games, but this tier gives you access to, I'm pretty sure the press release said, 400 plus. Yeah. 400 PS4, 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 PS4 games. What's weird yeah. about this, an update today, Luhai pointed this out to me earlier, is that Persona 5 is actually leaving that collection for like unknown reasons. Like they yeah, just, it's just going. that is weird. So, it is weird. Yeah. That is very strange. You'd yeah. think once something... The, the, the way that collection seems to be curated and... Um, like marketed it's not like game pass in that it's the kind of thing where things come and go it's just like no this is in the collection yeah, yeah exactly. like it's meant to be more of a museum of permanent exhibitions than temporary ones so right. that is right that is odd yeah i think um so the three tiers uh, essential is basically the same as what it is currently for ps plus and then mm. you've got extra and premium at the top and um premium it kind of differentiates itself by offering uh, like a retro library of uh, PS2, PSP, and uh, PS3 games via cloud streaming. And PS1. And uh, PS1, of course. Um, 
So I think like and and I think it, there's it said an extra three hundred and forty games uh, on top mm. of the four hundred uh, PS4 and PS5 games. So yeah. there there is a bit of a value add uh, with with that, and there is also a fourth tier which is um, the deluxe tier for countries that don't have access to oh, PS, right. PS Now and uh, cloud streaming. Yeah, I, I saw your news article on that, on how that's kind of like a console, like as a consolation prize. And I really agree with that take. Like I just wrote a feature today about um, cloud gaming generally and why I don't think the way cloud gaming is going, I think it works as an add-on so like uh you know for example um i have an xbox series s with game pass and i've been playing through some of like the halo collection like the master chief collection uh, just using streaming because it's a single player game uh, i don't care about the online just give me the master chief story i'm fine to do that like my internet connection is really good but with things like the kingdom hearts collection on on the oh, switch don't you do this to me yeah that's cloud only and like as 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 PS Plus tiered shows, cloud gaming isn't available everywhere. And so, like, this move towards cloud gaming being, like, your primary method of gaming, if you have, if you pay for a subscription service, fine. Streaming is useful and, you know, it's a nice add-on to a luxury you already have. But cloud gaming as a mainstream or as, like, the way to game, just without the infrastructure there and without the without the guarantee that a company is actually going to keep that alive, mm. um, it just seems bad to me. And I yeah. think it's a shame. I think it, like what your article said about it being a consolation prize is so right, because it's just a shame PlayStation like, and Sony aren't willing to put the money into just yeah. either improving their cloud infrastructure or um, properly emulating a PS3 natively. So Sony, Sony said it would be offering the deluxe tier at a lower price than the premium tier which is a That's bit of, that, yeah that that kind of you know uh, sweeten sweetens it a bit but um the analyst i spoke to did say that sony is looking to expand its uh, cloud infrastructure to yeah. more countries but that's quite a kind of long term plan yeah. i don't think that'll be ready by june which is when these tiers are going to launch mm. but um the whole thing seems like a way for sony to it's kind of a marketing thing to be honest i think it's a good way for them to make more money to be honest yeah for sure. really <laughs> sony wants to make some money huh <laughs> yeah it is I like that. that they can't do ps3 emulation like i know i know the argument is that the ps3 was really hard to work with but i don't know man it just it sours the whole thing so much when the what? ps3 is like the the era i'd want from like yeah. I'd want more games on that than I would on the PS2 and PS1. Really, I think this is a generational difference because I, yeah. I, yeah. I I'm more looking at the PS2 games than the PS1 games. Whereas yeah. the PS3 games, I mean, like a lot of them have been remastered anyway, right? Yeah, like yeah, the first party exclusives. Like, the ones that haven't, like Infamous, are the ones that I'm like dying to play. Yeah, resistance, on, like, Not okay. resistance. Yeah, thank you, Eric, for being so the Cooper, only other Resistance Jack fan Daxter, in here. Yeah, all like the. I mean, technically, those are like Jack and Daxter and Sly Cooper and stuff are PS2 games ported to PS3, and then would I'd want them to play them on the PS5. But it's just it's such like a glaring omission to be like, hey, we've got a whole library except for PS3 games, they're cloud only. 
Like yeah. that just sucks. I, I I know there's difficulty with it, but you know that's not for the consumer to be like. That's not for us to be here. Like, well, Sony's having trouble with it. Like, Sony made the console. They're the ones selling this service to us. My they brother in Christ, you made the console. Why <laughs> yeah. can't you emulate it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think with the good thing with Xbox is that they have this like really good uh, back combat. Uh, functionality but it does cost a lot of money and um, yeah. microsoft obviously has like super deep pockets um whereas sony uh, yeah i'm not sure they ha- they can invest in in doing it um but it would be nice if they if they could actually finally get some ps3 back compat in there the streaming thing is really interesting i i don't think that they are going to invest in uh in ps3 i think because for one thing streaming is going to get better and more reliable like speeds increase over time they always have and they always will um so like investing in streaming now is a smarter long-term play than going back and trying to reverse engineer um you know the the ps3 architecture because it's just it's just not worth it the other Mm -hmm. thing i was you know this is what Izzy just spoke to, but I was reminded of this when I was just playing uh, Ghostwire Tokyo this week. I was reminded of the um, the Galaphones, like the Galapagos phones. You know what that is? What? So a Galapagos product is it's a, a, it's a concept. It's basically like a product that's wildly popular in one region in the world that never takes off anywhere else. Okay. Just like the species that evolved on the Galapagos Islands and nowhere hmm. else in the world, right? So the Galaphone is like uh, in Japan, when we in in Europe and the US were um, just getting flip phones, their flip phones, you could like watch TV and like they had like you play MMO games on them. Like they had hugely, wildly advanced technology for their phones when we were like learning how to do T9 and sending texts to each other. So, like, the streaming thing completely depends on where you live because, mm. because we are all disappointed uh, that you can only stream these PS3 games when that's probably not a concern at all in some places in the world, probably in Japan and other places but, that have way better network infrastructures. than. But then again, it, that's a massive shame in places where you can't do it, like, you know, all of Latin America... Mm-hmm. Um, all all the places that don't have it, like these regions that are typically underserved and underrepresented in video games, are all going to yes. be thinking like, "Oh, great, okay, so like it's great, obviously that they've included like PS One and PS Two games. That's amazing, um, because those there's always that's important video game history right there, um, yes. and it's nostalgia and yeah, it's everything. Like it's it's wonderful, but PS Three is really when, especially for sort of the way modern gaming is, I think that kind of PS3, Xbox 360 era is very, very important because it's that's when most people started properly playing video games online. It's when video games became a lot more social. It's, you know, it's when video games be- started becoming seen, at least in the wider, in, in sort of like in culture, in a, in a wider cultural sense, became seen as art more than they were ever before. So to to for so many people in certain countries to lose access to that library is sad like that is disappointing i think well 
like, yes, you're absolutely right about the culture significance of the PS3, but in places where you can stream them now, like, like the, you're talking about like in Latin America where they don't have like the infrastructure. Well, they also have notoriously cost prohibitive import taxes on technology. Like the PS3 isn't culturally important for the exact same reasons that they don't have the infrastructure to, to play the games now. You know? Well, I think for I think for people who care enough about video games and like who like people who are sort of gamers, there would th this is essentially instead of being something that should enable like so right if Sony instead of doing it as a streaming thing made it you know a, some update that could allow the PS5 or the PS4 to emulate PS3 games, this wouldn't even be an issue. This would be cool. People in those regions can now become a part of that history and yes. can learn that history and can engage with it. Whereas now it's just like, okay, well, it was never really their history and now it can't be their history until that maybe happens at some point in the future. And that's that's where I'm disappointed with this, where I think it would have been nicer to see that that be more of a priority. But I do understand, yeah. obviously, you know, Sony's a business and obviously, yes, they're just going to do whatever makes them the most money and they don't actually give a shit about preservation or art or history or anything No, like they that. don't. They just, they, just, they just see dollar signs. Yeah, <laughs> they so, do yeah. not care about preservation. It's, I, uh... think, I think with the premium tier, though, maybe that will propel them to be a bit more active in, yeah, uh, you know, getting their back catalogue uh, into more people's, you know, players' hands. And yeah. uh, I don't know, maybe they could, I don't know, spruce them up or something. Maybe, you know, maybe they'll they'll do something with those old games to make them perform better with uh, current gen consoles. Mm. That doesn't sound like so. That's that's they won't. A, <laughs> yeah, they won't. I hope. I wish. <laughs> I wish they would. The the pricing of these tiers, getting back to just like the core, the three core tiers that they're offering. Yes. Um, I. I am not going to play PS1, PS2, and PSP games, probably. It's very mm -hmm. unlikely, just because, mostly because of my job and how, like, being current is so important, mm. you know? Like, I'm not going to get a lot of um, value out of playing a PS1 game unless I can write about it and get a bunch of clicks. <laughs> That's just sweet, like, kind of my... Numbers kind of my curse uh <laughs> so i'm probably not going to play ps1 ps2 and psp games and most i would i would venture to guess that most people aren't like if you just like go like gamers and then break that down to playstation gamers and then break mm -hmm. that down to people that are going to subscribe to ps plus and then break that down to people that are going to play old games it's probably a really small number of people that are actually interested in playing ps1 it's a novelty PS2, right well, like it's like, like think that you have I think it's good to have the option. Like, I think a lot of people might be yeah. curious about playing the first Grand Theft Auto, you know? Yeah. The, the whole yeah. the thing that started it all. And uh, the first Metal Gear Solid still holds up, I think. And there's just so many classics in uh, Sony's library. Um, and, like, I, I would be personally be very interested in playing, like, an early classic, like Destruction Derby, which had amazing vehicle destruction, um, even though it's like such an early uh, 3D game. But um, I, I think having the option of having like 340 retro classics uh, to, to, to just download, and obviously a lot of them will be not very big in terms of storage or 
if you want to download them. So yeah. it's it's like having a huge arcade collection um, at your at your fingertips. And um, yeah. I think it's kind of I think it's kind of cool. And it would probably spur me to pay a little bit extra to kind of um, journey through history, as it were. Yeah, I so know. That's, well, that's what I was. That's what I was getting at. Is that the I I feel like the the middle tier, the PS4, PS5, is probably best for me but then when i look at the tiers it's a two dollar difference yeah between Mm. the middle like they really get you like if you're gonna go this far you might as well go all the way way, marketing folks tell it (laughs) (laughs) for me yeah i mean well we we all know andy andy kelly uh, um the gamer he's 100 percent gonna be going into all those ps1 ps2 games (laughs) yeah he's like He's like old man, the gamer. He's he's all about the the <laughs> retro stuff. I'm that. telling him. <laughs> I'm gonna tell no, him he's you said that. <laughs> no, his writing is obviously amazing, but no, he he really has that like he he has that deep appreciation of the history of where video games come from and their change over the years. And I, I think he writes about it in a really really interesting way. He writes about old games in a modern way. And I think that is something that's hard to yeah, do. Yeah, he's such a, and I such think, a dinosaur. I think that's something that's he? valuable. <laughs> he's an he, got called, he got called a dinosaur by some like random fan, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Know, he was not very happy about that. <laughs> but no, but I think I think I'm glad that this exists for people. For, so yeah, Lou, like you said, you know, you want to you want to play like the original Metal Gear and like Destruction Derby. I know for me, just as someone who like, you know sony like playstation is the console i've grown up with so i definitely want to explore some of those ps1 classics that i never bought when i was a kid um and you know just some of those stories that i never properly engaged with i want to experience those as they were kind of like meant to be played um so i think that'll be fun i think that'll be really good for people who sort of for people who do care about the history and the the yeah, just the art and the history and where where it all came from. Because I think the '90s was such a formative time for games. For me, it's the, some some of the PSP games. Like uh, I ne- I've never had a PlayStation Portable console, and um, Golden Abyss. I've never played that, so it'd be really nice to yeah. complete the uh, Uncharted collection because I love those games. Yeah, that'd be sick. It's all very romantic. It's mm. it's a very sweet idea. To go and appreciate the history of games, but the reality is, all of these games are terrible. <laughs> they are. They're not fun anymore. Games are better now than they used to be, and games we play today are probably going to suck eventually too. It's okay. Like, I I love the history too. I love the lore. Um, but SSX. none of this shit is fun. These all of these games are a pain in the ass. George knows exactly what I'm talking about. What? <laughs> Our <laughs> destiny to enjoy a versus the Virgin Metal Gear One appreciators. <laughs> I loved all of those games too, but I, they're not going to be fun to play. They're going to be fun to appreciate. I get that, but they're not yeah. fun games to play anymore. Look, there's. That's true. Okay, let's move on. That was twenty minutes on our first story. It was the biggest story to be. Fair. It was. It was. Yeah. Here's a very here's a small story. I just it makes me laugh. Uh, Fast and the Furious Crossroads is getting pulled from uh, storefronts at the end of April. This is the uh, most recent Fast and Furious game. It's only two years old. This is got this is just a licensing thing, right? It's got to be. 
Yeah, they don't, they don't pull license games because they're bad. Like, there's tons of them still about. It's definitely just, like, put But you gotta wonder them. how that shit happens. Like, oh with licensed stuff, do publishers have to, like, renew that license every year or something? And, like, do, like, a cost-benefit? That seems ridiculous to me. You'd think if, you're, if you make a game based on a movie or something, you just buy the rights, right? Or you get, like, guaranteed this thing won't just be pulled from sale two years later. Like, Right. That's, but, that's like, cool. we... We it's just saw Jump Force on Metacritic. Oh, oh I know it's I, terrible. Like, <laughs> for like no game, no matter like how bad, should just be erased from existence. Like they still, you know, yeah. still worked on that. And you shouldn't like if you like say in a year you you are you're a massive Fast and Furious fan. You're just curious about this awful game, and you just you just can't access it anymore unless it's still there. You know. Like it's it's really it's bizarre. All over. Um, I know there... no one gives a crap about Fast and Furious Crossroads. Is there yeah, a physical? Is there a physical version at all, or is it literally all the? There is. So. There I mean, is a physical. physical. Yeah. There is. A physical. That, oh, that's that rocket up in price. Yeah. Oh there, yeah. And this is why cloud gaming will never work because companies don't <laughs> give a shit about their legacies and the history of what they make. Segway. <laughs> yeah, um, I I don't know that to me. I, I understand the argument, but that's like saying every game that doesn't have a physical release will never work. Like, any game can get pulled like this. Like, mm. every indie game that doesn't have a physical release is doomed? I don't think that's true. I mean, unless you're cool, like, look, I don't know where the podcast stands on pirating video games, but <laughs> <laughs> like, if, if these games aren't going to be permanently available, then people are going to make them available in some ways, and those get those ways are often going to be, you know, on the, piracy. On the high seas. <laughs> <laughs> on the high seas, yeah, you know, yo-ho-ho ho, and a bottle of rum, that's how people are going to keep <laughs> playing games when when companies decide they're not profitable anymore. Yeah. Uh, but George, George has the correct take here. This, yes. Nobody cares because it's fat. I know, it's the first time he's yeah. ever heard that in his life. That's <laughs> my new ringtone now. You know what, it's a, I'm looking at the pictures now. It's a good render of Vin Diesel. It's that, crazy how good it looks, yeah. It looks... That that Vin Diesel looks better than Vin Diesel in real life. <laughs> like, I have to say. I'm put very flattering. Yeah. <laughs> Remember when we got two Vin Diesel game announcements at one Game Awards? <laughs> <laughs> was this an arc yeah and this was like the one more thing like the the last trailer um yeah it, it's laughable because it's fast and furious but this is like bad news i i don't understand how these things can happen uh and they shouldn't games should not get pulled down after being on sale for two years doesn't make any sense yeah you are right it must be a licensing thing because like what cost is there in making a game available like a yeah. bit of server space. No, nah, it's always okay. licensing. It's always yeah, licensing. no, that's what I mean. Like, uh, yeah, like the it has to be licensing because in terms of what you actually need to have something available on a digital storefront, apart from licensing, what else is really yeah. a prohibitive cost? We always we see this too a lot of times with the music in games, yeah. right? Like games the get GTA, pulled down because the GTA uh, radio stations and and um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, how about they're always changing yeah. i don't know how publishers are negotiating these licensing things but it's really bizarre how they're not just in perpetuity yeah like i also thought a bit of a tangent but the whole thing with guardians how they uh like in the review guide for guardians they were explaining how you can't show 
the jukebox with the album covers on stream. Yeah. Oh. Like they tell streamers, like when you turn on streamer mode, it turns off it it turns off the music. It changes all the music to the original soundtrack that they made. And they you're not allowed to look at the jukebox on stream because the album covers are all copyrighted. <laughs> music copyright is honestly one of the most aggressive things in the modern world yeah like it's it's absolutely absurd that if you've bought a product that has music in it like you've you've paid for it you have you have contributed money towards that ecosystem they have gotten their royalties from you purchasing that why on earth aren't you allowed to stream it like it's ridiculous yeah yeah You've paid for it. It's your product. You own it. Like, oh, it's it's. I hate I, I think, it. So much. I think. I think. I think they. The reason they hate it is that you know. What if you then use that game as like a radio station that people yeah. listen to? Um, it, it it is a bit funny because like it, with music, even if you like print out some, uh, publish some lyrics, uh, in a book or something, that's copyrightable as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I I understand that when be, because of how absurd copyright law is, like you have to avoid all precedent, you know, like you have to protect at all costs. But I also think it's very hilarious to imagine somebody that's like, I really want to listen to Eye of the Tiger. I'm gonna get on Twitch and go to a Guardians of the Galaxy stream and wait <laughs> wait to hear that song. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, I mean, idea. I you know, if if uh, Pokimane did that, I think a lot of people would be listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> she was using it to like exercise too or something. I don't know. Oh, Izzy's taking us on a field trip. Was there? Are you peeing, Izzy? Live on 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 our is podcast? He has, I, really he, <laughs> I think he is. Izzy's shower curtain is um like pugs with pineapples on their heads. Which I don't really understand. Yeah, it's 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 a pug with pineapple. That's it. I like that. Pineapple That's pug. It. I like to think Izzy was just in the bathroom the whole time, and Son's come in. He's like, "No, I do the podcast here." <laughs> I have a lot of questions. We'll wait till he gets back. He can hear us, but we can't hear him. So you can say whatever mean thing you Should want to say. Should we just like Izzy scream right as loud as possible into his ear? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to talk briefly about this Breath of the Wild delay because. Uh, Breath of the Wild is delayed until next spring, mm-hmm. um, which is quite a long delay considering it was already supposed to be last year, was it not? Uh, I think it was always 2022, but it was like unspecified. Okay, I keep doing this. I keep thinking games that got delayed yeah, was, It was Suicide delayed. Squad last time, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I swear the first trailer said 2021 but you might be right i might be wrong it happens Uh, right okay so in the latest breath of the wild trailer there was like maybe six seconds of new footage Um, (laughs) and like the big focus is that was like the mass swords broken like that's like their big end of trailer shot like wow cool um and now people have like taken a look at like a little bit earlier in the footage you get like a close-up of link's hand for the first time so like in other trailers we've seen there's like a bit like it's like all decaying and it looks really like cuby for some reason, but this is the first time we see it up close. Um, and it has like, the thing is like it, it splits into two theories basically. So one theory says that it's actually Ganondorf's hand and that Ganondorf is taking over Link's body. And I like that theory a lot. That's cool. Like that would, that would be an interesting way for them to go with it. 
Um, and then, like, halfway through writing it and being like, yeah, this is the theory, this is great, I was like, hang on a minute. And then I realised that other people are saying that it's actually probably still just the, like, glowing hand from the first trailer, which also has, like, it, it, it's not clear if it's, like, rings or if it's, like, just the pattern of the hand, but from the uh-huh. little slice we just got, it looks like rings. So people are split between whether, oh, hey, Ganondorf has taken over Link's body and it's going to be not like a like a buddy cop movie between the two of them. <laughs> but like, maybe it'll be them two in sync and maybe he's taken over Link's body a bit and that's why he looks so different now. Or if it's just whatever spirit was holding Ganondorf like captive is now taken over Link's body instead and that's his influence. Um, either way, it looks like from a close-up of it now, I'm on the side of it looks more like Ganondorf's hand to me, but and I think that's a more interesting way to do it, but I don't mm. think it will be. I think it's a fun theory that's going to end up being, no, definitely not. I can't believe how little we know about this game. I know. But I, know. I guess, I guess yeah. we have another year before it comes out now, so. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, it's a year. I thought it was like half half a year, but no, we're in spring right now. We're in spring now, yeah, but we win another year for this one. So it uh, is a pretty big one, and um, like after they announced the delay, I think Nintendo's stock price fell by like six percent or something. Yeah, still dumb. Which is pretty, pretty, you know, quite significant. Um, but there, there's also I heard the rumor that the next the the next Breath of the Wild could coincide with the next Switch. I don't know what people think about that. Ooh. I there's a part of me that's like. I just bought an OLED, please don't let that be true. And then there's part of like, <laughs> Switch games that don't run at 20 frames per second and look like better than a phone screen. Yeah, I'm all in. Um, <laughs> I, I don't... It would make sense, right? Like, it would totally make sense, but I don't think that's what they're going to go for. I think yeah. Nintendo is so weird about hardware releases. It will just happen. You know, it would just be a thing. <clears throat> they, they did say that this generation will be quite long i think and it's been so yeah successful but you know the original did launch on the wii u right and then um yeah then it was on on uh on on switch but yeah i think a lot of people yeah. would like a slightly beefier portable. oh yeah hell yeah give me give me beefier consoles all the time yeah we can't even get kirby running at a stable <laughs> frame rate yeah kirby will finally run <laughs> um yeah the first the the switch came out in march 2017 um so if breath of the wild 2 is also launching in march that'll be six years since the switch came out we are definitely due uh nintendo has shorter console cycles than playstation and xbox that's why they're always kind of like in the middle yeah uh mm-hmm. of each console cycle um so this has been long for nintendo already Nintendo always just does their own thing, and you know what? I respect it. Nintendo does not give a shit what anyone else is doing. Nintendo's I just don't like, respect that at all. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's, like, yeah. it, it's, all, it's all cute and charming until you try and play any of their games online, and it's like, oh, this is... <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah the, like, the Switch is kind of a dinosaur. It's, it's struggling. We can't get native Kingdom Hearts. We have to have a cloud version that doesn't work. Our new first-party games aren't running great, as we'll discuss with Kirby later on. So, like, uh, yeah, it's it's time. So it's all going to come down to, uh, you know, re- resolving those supply chain issues, resolving the silicone shortage. Like, um, you know, I, I can't remember 
which chip manufacturer it was, but they were like, we have all of our orders filled through 2026. Jeez, like, gosh. yeah, like this, it's, it's a big problem. It doesn't seem like it's going to get resolved. Is, I that, mean, pe- is that purely a COVID thing or is that like, you know, we get, we actually get all the raw materials for our chips from Africa and we've been the, fucking over um, that continent for a long time. What is it? Is it a combination yeah. of both? <laughs> It's it's about capacity. So a lot of the bigger chip uh, manufacturers um, will sell their capacity to like a big company like Apple, right, and then okay. they won't have that much extra capacity for for. It's it's all about uh, yeah. prioritizing who can pay the most, basically. And iPhones, sense. everyone has like iPhones, right? Uh, that's still bigger than consoles. Yeah, yeah. The I don't. I have shortage... a Samsung. <laughs> the silicon yeah. shortage is. A different issue uh, than the COVID stuff, but it's also related. Um, we we just make a lot of shit. We just consumer electronics just keeps growing and growing and growing, and like yeah. we're you know it's metals but, from the earth, dude. Like it, the other news was yeah. that GPU prices has gone back to pre-pandemic levels. I think though, um, yeah, that that was that's, another that's news good. we covered. It's yes that's mostly true part of it though is just like late in the cycle and new cards coming like the Mm. prices are going to drop um but it seems as though whoever does drops first will reap the benefits uh and then you know the new cards will quickly come out and we'll be back in the same situation again so yeah i don't know like we were definitely supposed to have a new switch already for sure, like the Switch Pro exists, we've talked about on the show. Like, mm. dev kits are out there. People were working on the Switch Pro games, and then it couldn't happen. So, um, yeah, whether it happens uh, with the release of Breath of the Wild two or not is really not. I don't think it's really up to Nintendo. I think it, I think it's just going to come down to the the restraints. Of, Did they give a reason why it was delayed? Did they like give any indication of why they pushed it back? I don't even. I, I think it was just the generic more time to polish sort of thing. There was no. Mm. They didn't outright say, "Oh, because of COVID" or anything like that. I think they were just like, "Yeah, we need more time." Yeah, it's significant because we're talking about now six years since the last game, and the and this is using the same engine. Like this yeah. is, you know if we look back to like the gap between Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, now obviously like dev cycles were way shorter because games were way smaller, but Majora's Mask got to use so much of, uh, of the other game. So it could get produced way faster. And that's what you would expect to see with the next breath of the wild, but that's not what happened. I think, I think what happened was um, they saw Issy's article about um, Elden Ring (laughs) Yeah, uh, comparing Elden Ring to Breath of the Wild, and then they're like, they're like, "Shit, we better incorporate more of Elden Ring into the, into the sequel." That's, That's what every player is about now. Suicide Squad yeah. was like, "Yeah, we need more. We need more like ob- obscure open worlds." That's what we want. I guess. Oh, any any fans of uh, any Breath of the Wild fans? I'm sorry, like Lou High is right. It was probably my fault. I take, <laughs> I accept full credit and responsibility for the Breath I'll, of the Wild too. I'll DM you his address. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! You actually have my address as well, you bastard. <laughs> Don't I you do. dare! I do. Well, I'm just All trying right. to dox each other on the gamer podcast. 
We have a lot of games to talk about today. We are doing Tiny Teens Wonderland next, then Ghostwire Tokyo, and then after that, George will be back for Kirby and the Forgotten Lands. Is that right? Hell yeah. All right. Uh, we'll take a quick break. And we'll be back with the game. And we're back, Stacy Henley and Jade King. Hello. Hello. Well, uh, should we talk about video games or should we talk about Will Smith slapping people? Oh, can he slap people <laughs> in Tiny Tina's Wonderland? <laughs> there must <laughs> be a game that Will Smith's people. in, right? I've seen a, I've seen him like on TikTok. People have just got Marty from Madagascar being slapped <laughs> by Will Smith from Shark Tale. It's pretty great. <laughs> Classic. I'm sure there's like a I, I robot or Wild Wild I'm, West game. Someone's you know what? Roblox. I, I imagine it doesn't exist, but you could probably convince me that it does after I left Because you convinced me I'd played the Troy game, which does not exist. Not a real Will game. Smith in Fortnite. Maybe that's a slap. That's game. true. There yeah, you yeah, go. yeah, yeah. Bad, Bad boys. Boy too, Will Smith. All right, good. Glad we got that out of the way. You know, real, <laughs> real elephant in the room. Current affairs, you know. <laughs> Who says the uh, game doesn't do politics? <laughs> Not our readers. Who, who literally nobody readers. says that. Nobody says that. <laughs> they don't want us to. <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk about Tiny Tina's Wonderland. Borderlands spinoff. Stacey, you reviewed. Is it? Tell us your score. Uh, I gave it a 3.5. Great. Five. Um, where, where do we begin? I, is it insufferable? Well, I I really like Borderlands. That was the reason okay. I was excited for this. So it's the humor is kind of typically Borderlands. There's one guy who swears, but every time he swears, he plays the loot really loudly, so it like drowns out the swear word like like a bleep. Yeah. But the loot's nowhere near loud enough, so he's screaming, and then he hear like blink, and then he screams again. So <laughs> that's kind of the level of humor that you get. Yeah. Um, if you find Borderlands insufferable, you will definitely find this insufferable. But that wasn't the reason I took any kind of points off the score. Because um, okay. I kind of... I think you know what you're getting with that. I think uh, if you buy... This is really the fourth Borderlands game now, if you like, because it had one, two, three, and then this is the spin-off. Wait, pre-sequel, right? Oh, pre-sequel, yeah. So, so the fifth Borderlands game. Um, and then they had Tales from the Borderlands, so... Sixth. They've made a lot of Borderlands games at this point. <laughs> if you're buying it and saying, oh, it's not for me because I don't think it's very funny, you you should not have bought it. You should yeah. at this point know what Borderlands is. And uh, I don't think it's necessarily that fair to critique it for being what it is. I think maybe the first two Borderlands, you can do that. But by this point, you are you're in with Borderlands. You can not like yeah. it for that reason, but I think as far as a general critique, it's yeah. Borderlands. I think that's fair. But I, I also think there's something to be said about the way it uh, sort of fell into a comedy style that was appropriate for its time when the first game came out and then just mm -hmm. stuck with that. Yeah. Like, it's... The humor is the same, but culturally it's not the same, right? It has this, like, LOL, so random, like... It's all very much like dudes that say epic a lot and like, yeah, that's souls. true. The narwhal bacons at midnight. 
Like it, it it's been doing <laughs> that deep for cut. ten years. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. It, um, so it, it doesn't feel the same anymore. No, and I think there was a really missed opportunity here. I'll probably dig into this as we discuss it later on, but I think there was a missed opportunity to kind of tie it to. Dungeons and Dragons and Tabletop, which has its own kind of really weird sense of humor. Like Dungeons and Dragons, played correctly, can be a really funny game. Yeah. Um, and I I don't think it took advantage of how ridiculous the tabletop scene can be. It was just mm. kind of playing Borderlands while wearing a wizard hat. Interesting. Okay. Cause I I, I got as far as the character creator. That's not uh, very far. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, We're tapping out like nah. <laughs> and I, I obviously they weren't your standard D and D classes; they were Borderlandsified. Um, but it yeah. seemed it was like a character sheet, and it seemed like it was leaning into the 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 TTRBG aesthetic. But maybe maybe it's just sort of fantasy Borderlands, and that's it. Aesthetically, it does it quite well because you, you're right. When you get your character, you don't like pick their skin tone things like they're an unpainted figurine like they're in the kind of gray and you can choose to keep them metal because that's quite clever you're playing as the character like the character who you are in reality in the game is sitting around a table playing dungeons and dragons or right bunkers and badasses as they call it in the game so the character you control for most of the game in gameplay even within the game's own reality is just a figurine on a board like that when you go across the board there are like um What's it? What do you call what's the matchitos? Cheez Its? Cheez Its? Okay, yeah. The snack? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, there are like certain barriers, they're not blocked off by like level gates. They're like, oh, there's a Cheez It in the way. This is like the, you know, what Borderlands is like. It's like, oh, the uh, magical Cheez It of what's it. Yeah, you know? Yeah. So, they they lean into like the aesthetic of it being a board game. Um, and you're right, they have the, the classes. But then. There's still, like, machine guns everywhere. And, like, some of the machine guns fire, like, balls of lava, but also some of them fire bullets. Mm. And that's kind of weird. Um, and every encounter you do is just, like, kill these enemies. There's no actual tabletop roleplay in there. There's yeah. no, like, decision to do this weird thing or try things this way. There's not even, like, you don't even roll for things. It's not even, like, Baldur's Gate or uh, Disco Elysium where... If you roll a three, or you actually can't, things get harder. The boss gets more health, or mm. you lose a certain thing, or um, anything like that. It's, it, it is just an aesthetic thing. So they, they right. do commit to it with the how much they want it to feel like you're playing a board game, but they'd never actually let you play a board game. Yeah, that mm. could even be done in almost like a an optional way if you wanted to. Like you go into a firefight, and maybe there's a system that rolls a random buff or a random weakness or advantage on either side. So it's like, oh, okay, so now you need to deal with enemies that do extra fire damage or they have the certain like weakness you need to exploit. Does it do any of that or does it feel like it could, but it's just like if no it, it feels like it it could, but it doesn't. The only time dice are used in the game is like they're collectibles, so you'll wander around there's like twenty I th- Obviously, it changes with different levels, but there's like mm. 20 hidden dice in the Forgotten Cave. And if you find them, you get guns, because it's a Borderlands game. More guns, <laughs> yeah, boy. Um, so, no, they could do a load of stuff like that. Like, they could they could have factions, they could have um, you know, non-combat encounters trying to kind of talk about it, even in kind of classic Borderlands 
jokey humor kind of way. They could just be a bit like um, what's it called, Monkey Island, when the fight is a fight of insults. You know, when it's not actually a, an actual combat thing, but it's you using your your wit and you playing. So, no, there are a lot of opportunities when it could have been a tabletop game. It actively chooses not to. It. It's a Borderlands game telling a tabletop story. You know, you find a magic book, you explore a cave, but um, like there's a bit where you have to sail across the ocean, and then you blow the ocean up because it's Borderlands. <laughs> like it's just a load of. What if these very typical tropes of fantasy were done by Borderlands? And that kind of works. I, I was just really hoping it would be some kind of Dungeons and Dragons game. Even mm-hmm. though Tiny Tina's Bunkers and Badasses wasn't, I thought this one would be right better. And it's not. Yeah, that totally makes sense. It's just it's it's Borderland does D and D, but not real. It's not really doing D and D. No, just... it's dressed up as D and D, but it's not yeah. really. Does are, it does it have good enemy types? Is there a lot of like fantasy creatures and stuff? Um, yeah, that that's kind of the most annoying thing is that even though you just have guns and you know your, your melee weapons might be a hammer and a sword instead of the usual borderline stuff, but your enemies are they have the classic stuff. They have you know bows and spells and shields and stuff. They're not that creative. You know, there's like skeletons, uh, goblins. Uh, gnomes but there's a decent enough range like that's what you would expect from Dungeons and Dragons my my favorite bit is there are gnomes who um they I can't I think it's a magic spell and maybe they eat a potion they eat a brew um and it turns them blue and they become the smurfs and you have to cure them of smurfdom nice. um you know and that's just kind of like a silly tabletop thing like you meet these gnomes who are blue and it slowly dawns on you because you don't see them at first you just hear about them and it slowly dawns on you as you go through that oh it's the smurfs i have to fight some smurfs um and that's like a fun way to do the um the the uh, dungeon and dragons tropes but then again it's just fight them there's no story to it it's just go to this place and kill a bunch of smurfs mm. But you you mentioned that there was like swords and hammers. The I don't remember there being melee weapons in Borderlands before. How was that handled? Um, I think they have been. Have they not? I'm maybe I'm sure I do. Um, they handled pretty easily. Like um, it feels like a natural part of gameplay. So either they weren't there, and they've done them quite well, or just it feels kind of seamless. Obviously, mm. because it's such because it's looter shooter. Most time you spend kind of away from people. The big thing this time is the... They're not called ultimates in the game. You know, they, they have a special name. But the ultimate things are like... You swing a hammer down and the ground around you explodes. And it can, it does um, area damage. So... Mo- it's like melee in most games. You're never really going to use it unless you're specifically like, sneaking up with somebody from behind. Or mm. have a power-up. Like, if you go up to somebody with a a machine gun and a sword. The sword doesn't do any more damage. Like the sword is not the option to choose. It's kind of there if you need it. And they had to give the powers a bit of flavor. Mm. But um it's you know it's still it's still Borderlands. It's mostly a looter shooter and it expects you to shoot a lot of things. What class did you play? Um I played Stabomancer. Um which is like a um barbarian. 
and then as you get to level 12, I want to say, um, you get the secondary class, um, which I chose whichever the ranger one was. I, I don't remember um, what it's called in the game. Because um, that gave... I picked the barbarian one because it had a lot of health, it did a lot of damage, um, and I, I always just choose those classes. I always think that's... You never really go wrong with extra health and extra damage. Yeah. Um, and then the ranger class, whatever it's called, gave you like better... No, actually, no, it wasn't ranger. It was mage. It was mage because you get um, certain magic spells that you can, like, freeze people with. Um, so as well as just shooting bullets all the time, you can, like, shoot a freezing spell or, or shoot fireballs or shoot lightning. And that felt more like what I wanted out of the game, even though it wasn't necessarily the most meta class. Hmm. Is Penn and Teller in it? No. <laughs> oh, what they're meant to be. Uh, they're in the, I think they're in, they're in the last one. They're in three. Yeah, they are, yeah. I don't <laughs> know if they're in all of them. Okay. The other thing I Borderlands know. always. I haven't met them. Maybe they are. I don't know. They're at the Game Awards, isn't it? The, the other thing Borderlands always does is like very specific pop culture references, but because of the game dev cycle, they're always like old yeah. jokes by the time the game comes out. Is there like TikTok trends and stuff in this one that like don't land? They have kind of leaned into that so much that I don't even think it's. I don't think they've tried to be current. I think you're right because they're so di- because Borderlands is so dated. It, it is all just no. It, there's no like let's floss and oh, that was a thing six years ago. <laughs> yeah. Like there's like old memes, ancient yeah, memes. It's it's really just like. Very, there's a lot of references to border to Borderlands. Like a lot of the characters are, a lot of the characters are Borderlands characters, like reimagined. So, I didn't have. I don't have any like obvious example of it being mm. really dated humor, but it is dated humor. It's just not in the way that you might expect for a game like this. Yeah. Uh, this game makes me think of um, Stick of Truth. Which is uh, yeah. South, Park, could, South yeah. Park, yeah, which does the the D and D stuff really well. Um, I don't know, just an interesting comparison. I feel like I feel like South Park might be the better attempt at this genre crossover. I feel like I'm biased because I don't like South Park at all. I just don't <laughs> get it. Um, yeah, so you haven't played it. I I've heard people say it's a very good like baby's first rpg thing but i couldn't comment on how well it does the specifics because I, I haven't played it because i don't it get it mm-hmm. i'm not even offended by it like i've seen episodes that are not the offensive ones that are just like when he becomes a robot but he's in a cardboard box yeah i just don't get it and this is the best episode ever they, they look they're playing world of warcraft typical yeah. simpson and fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah stick for truth is i do get what you mean like it's it it both bases itself on D and D tropes, or like subversing and making fun of them in a lot of inventive ways. Like you're walking around South Park, but like this whole existing setting is abiding by the tenets of a tabletop RPG, and it changes yeah. to reflect that. And it feels like Tiny Tina's Wonderland has instances of that, where like a character will change the world before you during gameplay, but it doesn't sound like that happens nearly often enough for it to be compelling. It, and then anything, you're just, just doing Borderlands. If anything, it just highlights yeah. like, oh, this cool thing happened. 
back to shooting stuff and finding shit guns. Like, yeah, yeah, it's just like there's there's an overworld which is like, do you remember big head mode on games in the nineties? Yeah, sure. So you wander around in big head mode for some reason, never explained. Um, mm, around like a map that looks like kind of like one of the early routes in the Pokemon game, like in like Let's Go when it's like in 3D mm. um, and goblins just pop out of the grass and go ha ha and you f- they just like randomly fight you and then you yeah. get taken to their lair and you have to like kill 17 of them. So It's like Bloodborne. Yeah, that, I mean it's not <laughs> that's, that's not go crazy. Like it's not. Um, but yeah, I think that's really probably the best example of it trying to have that more natural feel to it of like a chance mm. encounter but it's it's big head mode Pokemon with goblins <laughs> doesn't mm. really work as mm. what's that meant to be I am shocked that Borderlands hasn't just gone full destiny live Me service too. it's still yeah. stuck in like 2012 where it's doing like at like sequelized loot shooters and it's doing yeah. like it's still doing the DLC model it did with Borderlands 2, where like they're just like independent stories instead of like like Borderlands feels like it would kill for a battle pass because of all the yeah. fucking guns and stuff. I I suppose I suppose Borderlands doesn't have the strength of its online play. I, I don't even know if Borderlands has online play, certainly I've never used it. Um it has always been rooted in, you know, telling stories in these characters. Mm. I I wrote in, in my review that I thought Borderlands was probably my f- favorite first-person shooter out there as a concept, and Jade and Ben, who also wrote it, both commented and said, what about Titanfall 2? And I thought, like, okay, yeah, fine, after, <laughs> after Titanfall 2 then. But I really love Borderlands. Like, I, I do think it's great. I am not a shooter aficionado. Mm. I love it. I don't know that many hardcore shooters. Like, you know, Eric, how many hours do you have in Destiny? Oh, uh... 1087 but that's just since it's been on steam so yeah maybe I, double i doubt there are that many people who have that in borderlands even across mm. the whole series do you think i mean what you're doing it does it uh, does it have an online component that's that popular it's just four player co-op right like, it's, yeah it's just co-op but three at least has an end game grind with uh, I forget what that activity calls, but not it has for like a two, not for yeah, two thousand six hundred hours. It doesn't. Yeah. My brother gets stoned and just plays Borderlands. Like that's what he does <laughs> like, after work. So maybe he he's got three thousand hours in Borderlands. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe people do. I, look, I love Borderlands. I feel like I've had a go at it a lot on this yeah. podcast, but only because I'm so disappointed that Tarantino wasn't the thing that I feel I was promised. Yeah. Um, and I understand it's a game that really thrives on its personality. On its characters, some people find them annoying, but that is what Borderlands is about, um, and is always told, you know, quite rigid stories. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how well it would thrive in the kind of Destiny space. I think when people think Borderlands, Eric, you, you might disagree because you have so many hours in Destiny, but I don't think Destiny has created a character that stands out as much as Handsome Jack. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. And I think that's what Borderlands banks on. It makes characters that people care about. If they make a new Borderlands and they put Handsome Jack on the cover, people will buy Handsome Jack's in it. 
Yeah, because right. like people love him. That that's how how they sold the pre sequel. It was like yeah. handsome Jack, the handsome Jack collection. Yeah. Right. Oh god, yeah. Yeah, Destiny players love the characters, obviously, but I mean, even if you put like Cade Six on the cover, I don't think that everybody's gonna know. Like, mm-hmm. there's no the face. There isn't a face of Destiny the way. Yeah, like Destiny's Destiny's a great. I don't play Destiny very much, but I know a lot of people who really love it. I, I'm not by any chance saying it's bad. I'm just saying I think Destiny's worked too well because it's perfected the the gameplay and the raids and that kind of Moorish feel of wanting to do the raid, and then I didn't quite get the gun that I wanted because it's a looter shooter, so I now need to grind for this component to, like, break mm-hmm. down to make a better... I'm not going to embarrass myself by making things up, but you know you know, you know, Destiny works. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Borderlands does that as well, because mainly you just get guns and chuck them away and then get a better one. Yeah, so you're replacing them constantly. Like, there's no gun to root for. Like, not that I know of. It's just like, oh, this one does more damage. This one looks nicer. So yeah. Constantly changing. So I guess in that sense... It doesn't doesn't feel as focused as Destiny does in regards to the shooting and the loot. It's probably worth mentioning as well, like, yeah, Bucks did try and do Overwatch with Battleborn and failed spectacularly. Yeah, they fucked it, yeah. yeah. So he's probably a little bit scared of, let's do a Destiny with <laughs> our biggest title. Yeah, they went mm-hmm. back to the Borderlands 2 model. They went back to what worked with Borderlands 3 yeah. as a consequence of Battleborn crashing and burning. And yeah. Maybe they'll try again with Borderlands 4, which is probably what's going to come after this. This series will never end. Will no, because Borderlands is like super duper popular, isn't it? Yeah, it's you. You said it's their biggest, but it's like there is no second place with Gearbox. No. I got a movie no. coming out, which I forgot about until this. Oh person. yeah, yeah. Kevin Hart, Haley Bennett. You both just named your favorite actors. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> with my life choices uh is this is this a full price one um i think so yeah this i mean it's it's a maybe to the playstation store. 15 16 hours to beat and that's okay. if you go through it um you know you probably get 25 hours out of it if you probably more actually if you find all the dice and stuff because i'm i'm not going to find like 200 dice in the game but if you do all the you know the, the basic side quests like fighting the goblins and freeing all the caves and stuff you probably only have 25 hours so I actually don't know the price off the top of my head, but I think it would justify, you know, it is, six, it is sixty five ninety nine on the PlayStation Store. I mean, that always sounds big because I think games are too expensive these days. But yeah. <laughs> quality wise, no. But content wise, this should be the same price as Miles Morales. Okay. Yeah, because it doesn't feel like a mainline entry. It feels like an experimental side project, but they're marketing yeah. it as. I guess yeah, the full thing. Borderlands. It's like, yeah, mate. I bet it started off as an expansion. No, because they, yeah. they did Borderlands Two, didn't they? Borderlands Two had a DLC like this, um, where all of my complaints didn't really make sense because, look, it was Borderlands. It had to have the kind of loot, shooter stuff. It had to have the guns and stuff. I really hoped with this one they would have left that behind. But I, I just think the the DLC was really successful. And they decided to make a game of it. I think that's really cool. I've written about this before, but it would be cool if Rockstar did that with like Undead Nightmare. Oh, mm. you imagine that'd be fantastic. Mm. So I don't know. I think I think it's a neat idea to take. This is a really experimental DLC. That's nothing like what we normally do. People love it. It is the it is the Borderlands DLC. Like it's the one that people play the most. Mm. And they put it into a whole game. Like 
games are too expensive. Like that price that you just said, just maybe go. Oh, maybe it's not. But then I thought, yeah, five. Hours. That's how much video games cost. <laughs> like, you know, I bought one the other day. I bought Horizon, and I still haven't fucking played it. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to. This is a primo PS Plus game for sure. I don't. Yeah. I don't think it'll take long either. Six months. I, it'll be on PS. I think this year. Yeah. Well, if, especially you've got um, a new thing, premium. Um, so you know, they we might see a, a real change in how those things work. They've said like no new games, but I can see them cutting deals to get games like this on day one. Or, or at least quite early. I mean, like Guardians of the Galaxy came to uh, Game Pass after five months. Yeah, and it was one of the best reviewed games last year and won a Game Award. Um, and it's Guardians of the Galaxy. Like it's that's a right. huge property thanks to the MC. Like that, that's a really big game by a major studio that was critically revered. And five months later, you can have it for free on Xbox. Yeah, I'm this surprised if so this isn't going to win any Game Awards, I don't think. No, um, and it didn't review as well, but it. Is the type of game that within a few months sales will die down and they'll put it on for free and more people will play it and hopefully we'll connect with it because yeah, it's, not really it's yeah, decent. It's just not really what I was promised and I hmm. really wanted what I was promised because it sounded really good. Yeah, I, I think Borderlands as a series is like maybe the perfect example f- for the new, for what what you were just describing, like the the new release format of games because like, because Borderlands has such a huge built-in audience that are going to buy it day one for 60 bucks or whatever. Hmm. But then when it eventually becomes to PS Plus or Game Pass or whatever in five, six months, everybody's going to check it out because it's like it's it's big enough um, that I, I think most people at least want to give it a try. Um, so yeah, it seems like kind of the perfect game to just just wait if you're not you know, really hot for Borderlands, you you probably will not have to wait long. Yeah, I agree. Okay, cool. It's got dragons? It does have dragons. Metal dragons as well. Alright, maybe I'll play it. Fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it has a unicorn um, called the Butt Stallion, because that, that's funny in Borderlands. Oh, they, they a made butt that Stallion? Butt Stallion, yeah. Cause okay. Like, like, you know, like a butt. Yeah, like butts? Yeah. Nice. That's a joke. Means. Nice. <laughs> um, let's talk about the game I've been playing instead of Tiny Tina's Wonderland. Ghostwire Tokyo. Uh, I'm not going to say anything yet. Jade, you reviewed it, right? I did. And what was your score? I gave it four out of five. Uh, favorite game of the year? Ooh, it's definitely in my game of the year list, I think. Yeah. It was an unusual review cycle because I remember talking to Stacy like when we were both in the early chapters, going, like, "Oh, this game is like incredible! It's like got a fantastic atmosphere. The, the gameplay is quite original because it's it's like a supernatural shooter where there's no guns; you just use your yeah. hands." But Jade described it as a shooter, and I was like, "No, it's not." And I was like, "Yeah, you do kind of shoot things all the yeah, time." It's like, I guess it is a shooter. It's it's, it's kind like, of the thing where it's like, if it's not a shooter, what is it? So we'll exactly. call it a shooter. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of. Yeah, it's got like first person parkour, like your elements yeah. you use are basically your guns, I suppose. Like they've each got different fire rates, they each do different damage, but yeah, I should explain what the game is really. Ghostwire Tokyo yeah. <laughs> is a first person shooter thriller that takes place in Shibuya after a weird fog has raptured the entire population and now it's inhabited by a bunch of 
spooky ghosts which come in the form of salary men, headless schoolgirls, and a load of other freaky things. And it's from the studio who did The Evil Within, and it's got that vibe, I think, is the best way to describe it. It's mm. it's campy while it's also sinister and it was a disappointment in some regards, and I'll get onto that later with the open world stuff. But I think like the central gameplay loop and the exploration is is compelling in a way that few open world games have been for me for a good while. Like it's derivative in some regards, but there is more than enough going for it that I hope that people don't sleep on this. I find that it defies genre in a lot of ways. Like we had yeah. trouble pinning it down as a first person yeah. uh, shooter, but also like. The shorthand of open world is definitely applicable here, but also it's like kind of not. Yeah, because it's really... really condensed and like focused in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I I promise I've played other games, but I think the open world's like Miles Morales. It's <laughs> <laughs> just going to be my go-to for all the games that come out this year. Uh, it has such an interesting way of unpacking. You start on just one street, yeah. like yeah. literally walking like down a street. Crossing, it's just like keep going you can't go anywhere else because there's fog everywhere yeah and it's such like an iconic location that other games have done before like mario has done um the Shibuya Scramble before yeah. but it just looks completely different it feels different in in ghostwire yeah. so so yeah so you only have access to just this very narrow play space and that opens up into a very another small area and mm. you're just consistently opening very small sections of this map at your own pace yeah for the entire game yeah like there never comes a point where it's like like in horizon how you start in like this very small section and then mm -hmm. it's just like now here's the world like that never happens uh in ghostwire you're always just like whenever you're ready you can you can go check out another section and it just yeah, it never gets bigger and bigger you. forever it never forces you into a world that's too big for its own good. It always feels like you're discovering new sections of this city at your yeah. own devices. Which does so much to give like purpose and identity to all the places that you visit in the game. Mm. Because it's like you you just have this like intimate experience with wherever you are right now, and then you move on and then you do the same thing there. And it just uh, by the time I got through most of the game, I like I knew where everything was, and that's not really common for me yeah. with open world games. I'm just like wandering around, like fast traveling, like going from mission to mission. But with Ghostwire, I feel like I really explored. I don't all think I fast traveled once in that entire game. Like I didn't really feel a reason to because the mm -hmm. way the game is densely packed with like collectibles or the spirits you absorb and save, it feel, feels like. Even if I'm going across the city, it's like, oh, I can take another route and find things I haven't seen before, or I can just go on the rooftops and collect loads of items. Like, its world never feels superfluous. And I think that's really a hard thing to achieve with games like this nowadays, because it can be so quick just to be like, oh, my quest is over here. I'll just fast travel. Fuck it. Because the act of getting there isn't fun. So I'll just eliminate that altogether. Yeah. But mm. I think the act of traversal in Ghostwire, even if it can be clumsy i've i always take part in the combat encounters i saw or random things i stumbled across and i think that's that's a testament to both its world design and the atmosphere yeah absolutely and that like that the atmosphere of the game is also like incomparable i think the it's it's constantly raining um but be you you both play on playstation right yeah, yeah. ps5 okay. The way really, that really that, 
the way that like the rain is felt through the controller. How cool was that? I we've seen a lot of cool DualShock stuff, but I just felt like it like it's such a uh I'm really trying not to use the word immersive. <laughs> it's because these like the time that you spend in the places are so intimate it makes the the world feel so real and mm-hmm. I just love being able to like feel that in the controller too. I thought that was one of the coolest features. I think even in combat and traversal as well, like the dual sense is is used in a way. It feels like a lot of games, except for like Returnal and a few others. It feels yeah. oh, it I'm vibrates a bit Returnal. more. It v- vibrates a bit more. That's cool. But in this, it felt like, especially when you expose the cores of the enemies and you hmm. do the pull, it it really feels like you're yanking that fucker out, and it feels like <laughs> incredible. And when you're doing the swishes. When you're freeing spirits or solving yes. puzzles, like using the analog stick, that feels amazing. And as Eric said, like the atmosphere is part of me. Kind of, I loved the rainfall, but part of me was a bit sad that the like the darkness you start in gets gradually lighter as mm-hmm. you progress through the game. Because part of me would have loved to stay in that like eternal state of darkness, but for narrative reasons, the moon comes into play. So. You, you kind of couldn't. And I think the game looks worse when it gets lighter, but it still looks great. It's ridiculous looking. The... I know. It's oh, so stark. Tokyo in, Tokyo at night. Like, it looks sexy in real life. It looks even <laughs> better here. This is like... I know once I start getting into, like, the techno babble of, like, ray tracing and shit, people start tuning out. No, but... God, yeah, the reflections there... in this. <laughs> There's, like... Uh, when you're walking down the street at the beginning of the game, that you'll see this everywhere. But there's like umbrellas, like clear umbrellas on the ground, mm-hmm. and it and you can like look through the umbrella, and it distorts the space on the other side. But you also get the reflection of the light bouncing off of the plastic, and you also get the raindrips dripping down the umbrella. And it's just like I can't believe you can do this in video games. And then if you kick the umbrella, it will move and redo all of that physics and distortion around it. It's really it's really crazy, but like this is like real next gen shit. There's a lot of inside the subway stations or outside the Shibuya station terminal. There's a lot of large screens or like dynamic reflections. And yeah. you are right, Eric. I did spend a bit of time like just like checking out the sexy reflections, just like cool. <laughs> yeah, video games in it. But I was I have a question. When games have like the 30 FPS option with the fancier graphics and the ray tracing, do you normally opt for that or performance? It totally depends on the game. Yeah. Like like if it if it's mechanically demanding, I'll always do 60. Like if I was gonna play Elden Ring. Yeah, or, same. Or you know, but if it's just something I want to look at like this, like it's this isn't a particularly challenging game. No, I found it quite easy. Um, the the combat is one of its like weaker uh aspects uh it's very flashy and it feels like you were talking about like the controller feedback and stuff it feels really good but basically it just comes down to like kiting people like just walking backwards and it doesn't change magic at them. i don't think once you know yeah. how to fight the small group no. of enemies you do the same thing for the entire game one yeah, the, it kind of changes in the middle because you get the um to call them tag, we can paralyze people and like shock them. I in never place. use them. Like, oh, I, I do use those a lot because they they're quite good for when you want to like charge up the fireballs and stuff. Mm. But that's like one thing. It's like you yeah. can now freeze enemies in place for three seconds, and that's the only upgrade you ever get other than 
they get stronger, they get faster, you get more bullets. Are we using the word bullets? Like you get more <laughs> yeah, spirit, things. Yeah. yeah, like the beads come into play, and those were cool. Yeah, they felt somewhat negligible because combat wasn't too difficult anyway. And there were just there were so many beads. Um, yeah, you have like, two wrists. Like, just, yeah, it's like you're at a festival. Just getting all these <laughs> yeah, all of the all of the gamey systems, the the combat, the progression, the um, the economy, like all of that stuff is kind of underdeveloped to Serviceable, me. But I guess. yeah, but I don't care at no, all, and I'm really kind of like I'm trying to hold back and not just start ranting because i really really love this game um <laughs> so I, I i could talk about it for another hour but um um Stacey, you had mentioned that it was probably your favorite game of the year too absolutely um i i mean i think elden ring's gonna win game of the year i just think um that's obviously a contender but i just don't like elden ring so um in a year where there's been quite a few big releases, I wouldn't have expected to be Ghostwire Tokyo. Kind of yeah. the opposite of what I said for Tiny Tina. I feel like I was promising with Tiny Tina. Didn't get it. Feel like a bit of a letdown. I was expecting Ghostwire Tokyo to be, like, fine. Like, kind of a Yakuza game, I guess. Like, you kind of, you know, vaguely open world, you run around, you punch people in the face. There's some stories. Um, but I was expecting it to be a much worse version of that, and it's actually kind of stands on that level with the Yakuza games. Mm. Um, yeah, I think far and away it's my current game of the year. There's still some stuff that could come out. I have high hopes that Saint Row is going to be good. There's still a new Pokemon game. Um, I don't, what else is I don't know. Wii Sports could be amazing, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I I think Ghostwire Tokyo has been my game of the year so far. I think we should be positive and supportive of games that are trying to do something a little bit different. Um, I think especially within the industry, like as an individual, you might not like certain games. I kind of feel that way about, you know, Breath of the Wild, but I think in the industry you have to look at games that are doing something new and trying to be a little bit experimental are, are worth our support and our voice. And it's kind of lucky this time that I don't need to <laughs> caveat that with my own tastes because I actually really <laughs> like Ghostwire Togo. I don't need to kind of begrudgingly yeah. praise Breath of the Wild while oh, also mentioning that I don't like it. Um, but yeah, Ghostwire Tokyo has been my game of the year so far. I think the the visuals of it, the gameplay in combat is kind of perfunctory, but I don't think you play like we said, it's kind of a shooter. There are better shooters out there, but mm. you want playing this to play a shooter. That's just a means to an end. Right. Um, the story, we probably haven't touched on how good the stories are, the individual like side quests and the, yeah. the narratives you meet. The main story does lose a bit of steam. I know Jade and I kind of talked about this. I think I still would have stuck with, when we did the preview phase, I was thinking, well, this could be like a 9 out of 10. This is really good. I think because of what gets right, I would have stuck with that, but I can respect given that the main story kind of falls apart a little bit and yeah. that the combat doesn't really change. It probably is more sensible to go with the the, the 8 or the, the 4, I should say. Um, but yeah, I just... I really respect games that try to do something different and manage to pull it off. I could sit for an hour and talk about the things that I think could change in a sequel, but that's only because I think it really deserves a sequel and there are just some small things that needs to work out to to grow. Yeah. So I, I've not finished. Uh, I'm, I've started 
the last chapter where you can still explore the open world before it. Yeah. Oh, have you fought the spider boss? I fought the spider thing. No, uh, no, thank you. The yeah, one with the tails? The one where you pull the tails? That's the last thing I did. It's like, it, it's a giant spider. Like, no. There's no two ways about it. Not... No, 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 no. These are, these are different bosses. You are thinking of Kamomomo, I think they're called, Eric. Yeah. The three tails in the background, sneak behind them and crawl in between. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. yeah that's okay. Uh, so I'm not in any hurry uh, to finish because uh, for me that the joy of the game is not progressing through the story and like unraveling this mystery. It's yeah. all it is all about exploring the, the city and helping these like d doing the side quests and the side quests are very specifically all about um, spirits that can't pass over until mm. they resolve some their unfinished business pretty standard ghost stuff but um they're all they they are often directly tied to japanese myth and lore or um anti-capitalist themes <laughs> um and both of those are they don't they may not seem related but they've but they definitely are uh, the way that that Ghostwire handles like the sort of the sort of like pursuit of tradition and ritual as an escape from the trappings of capitalism. <laughs> I've written a lot about this in something else that w that gets deeper into it. I don't want to spend a long time <laughs> talking about the anti. I don't want to spend a long time talking about the politics of this game, um, but I'm fascinated by it. Um, as Jade, you mentioned, like the enemies are all like downtrodden businessmen, basically. Yeah, like they're referred to as visitors that reflect the society or the world in which they emerge from. So they they reflect like tired salary men, like youthful school people, or like young children and stuff like that. And as you said, like a lot of the Maybe not the main narrative as much, but a lot of the smaller stories you stumble upon, like look at socio-political problems, like a landlord and a tenant, or like young couples like trying to figure each other out, or like the dude stuck in the toilet, which is actually based on a proper myth, I think. Like, yeah, it is. Yeah, but yeah, I find the the stories off the beaten path are far more interesting than the main narrative. But as you said, I think it's because you find them while you're exploring the world and. It's not something you see on the set track, and there's loads of them. Yeah. The big question is, what do we think Ghostwire Tokyo would think about Will Smith? <laughs> That's the All big right. political question of the week. I'm glad we finally got here. Your damn ghost <laughs> out of my fucking wire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess what's, what has enraptured me about this game is that it's so not what I expected. Um, yeah. Mm. I think, you know, I, I, I like Evil Within a lot. It's sort of a, just a, a very bizarre roller coaster ride of very weird looking things. And that's, that's fun enough. Um, this, from the trailers, I wasn't sure what the gameplay would be like, but it seemed yeah. like it was just going to be a lot of crazy monsters and stuff. I was stuff. surprised it was first person, like stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but. The, there are crazy monsters, but I, uh, I am s so impressed by how empathetic uh, this game is. It's all about um, 
it's just about helping people right yeah mm. um and i i think i'm like really engaged with that process of just like basically all you can do it, it when you open up the map it looks like an open world game full of markers but it's not really like a like a checklist type open world game at all like you've got your side missions and they're all just helping ghosts solve problems and there's like 24 of those total and then besides that it's just like going around gathering souls like you're just like climbing buildings and looking in alleyways and trying to find these lost souls and just like collecting them and that's all there is to do but it feels so purposeful um just like the 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 context the meta context of what you're doing is like trying to rescue all of, all of these lost souls or help them pass over and it's just it just feels like a nice thing to do it's just really enjoyable mm -hmm. to do that at totally at your own pace yeah there's nothing's ever like you have to if you know if other studios made this game you would need to have uh 12,000 souls freed before you can do this mission yeah. you know there's there's none of that um and I, I like I like that it feels overwhelming at first because there's like a quarter of a million souls, but like you free one soul and that one soul is actually like eight thousand, mm. so the number goes down quite quickly and it's all you're never quite sure like what it's going to be. Sometimes it will just be um, a combat scenario. Sometimes it will be a puzzle. Sometimes there'll be some way you don't appear to be able to reach right now, and you might need to. Um, go around the rooftops or traverse up a different way. I think it's it does a really good job of letting you do what you want, not holding your hand, but also providing quite a clear structure. And I think that's a really hard line to to tread on. Yeah, especially open world games nowadays, which are kind of obsessed with bloat and content. It's nice to see Ghostwire show some restraint, which it very much could have gone in the opposite direction, but Bethesda and Microsoft clearly just went, you know what you're doing, fulfill that vision and roll with it. And they did. And that's really nice to see something that's original because that's not what I expected at all. Yeah. I think uh, we, we've talked about some critiques. I think it could have used a slightly better like parkour mantling system yeah. than what it has. I, I'm not necessarily looking for a full like dying light run on walls shit mm -hmm. that's not what the game's about but i i think it could have done a little bit more with like the climbing and you you have like a glide and you can like uh there are certain like they're called tangus and you can uh, grappling hook onto them to get to high mm -hmm. places but it's very other than that like in terms of mobility it's pretty stilted yeah. yeah, the thing which annoys me the most about that is there are some stairs where there's like just a chain in front of it, and it's like, yeah. oh, stairs are out of order. <laughs> like stairs, they yeah. can't be out of order. They exist. I, I um, actually think that's a big ghost. problem. Yeah, yeah, because that's the one time you can't see. If if a door is locked and I can't get in, I I can go with the game's reality and say, okay, my guy can't just kick the door down. Fine, yeah. I'll find another way around. But when it's like you can't climb onto this roof because the stairs are blocked off. Just put a door there. Yes. Why, yeah. why can I see them? Because um, you can kind of abuse the system by there's a lot of like vents and things like that on the side of buildings that you clearly aren't supposed to climb. Because if you try it, you'll slip off a lot of times and fall. And it's clearly not the way it's supposed to do it. But you can kind of brute force it if you try enough mm. to jump and jump and jump off 
like windowsills and air conditioners and mm-hmm. things like that or air vents. But speed running. you can't just jump over this really low wire that's stopping you from going up a staircase. It, that just feels a little bit. I'm going to say it, Eric. It it breaks my immersion. <laughs> it does. It's not engrossing. The the in-game justification to limit your ability to move around is the fog. You can't yeah. get past the fog. And that's that is how you like internalize the rule set of the world and then you progress past it. You you find ways to get through the fog because you like interact with these gates and it opens parts of the map. But yeah. the fact that that in your space that you have carved out that there are places you can't access I think is a big problem. And I yeah. understand the limitations of game development. Like they just you can't build every building out completely. Like these people have budgets and time constraints. I totally get that. But there are places in the game in your space that you control that you should be able to go there, but there's just an invisible wall stopping you. And I think that's a big problem. Yeah, I agree. I think the fog system works really well because, like you say, you clear on your own time. It, it makes sense narratively. It's easily understood by the player. And um, it's essentially like the, the towers in Assassin's Creed where you have to climb to the top. But you don't have to climb to the top. You have to cleanse some gates which may involve a puzzle which may involve uh, stealth which may involve out and out combat it's just a natural part of the game with like seeing the city and uh, you know embracing the the culture of tokyo so it does feel weird that it places a very binary rule of it's quite a relatively small open world you know it's not a massive sprawling elden ring horizon yeah um you can go anywhere in this bit you can never enter this bit until you clear it yeah um, that's quite an easy divide for us to understand. And even then, like on some of the missions, you'll have to get inside places. It seems like you can't. Yeah, right. Like you get inside, you go past like a shopping a shopping center, and say, like, "Okay, I can't get in there. That's fine. That's how games work." But then a mission in a few um, steps time will be like find the secret entrance. Right. So it tells you just because it looks like you can't go in this place, you probably can. You just have to find it. And then you find it, and it's like some stairs that are blocked off by a wire. And it's like, nah, not this way. Right. There's a trap door on the roof. There is a very, like... No, there's stairs right here. way that you can get in. I guess yeah. go up to the roof. Like, do I fuck? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm going to go up to the roof by the stairs, I which are here. Yeah. All the electricity is still on. We also mentioned a little bit about, like, the... The mythology um, mm. that Ghostwire leverages to build its world, uh, which is one of the coolest aspects of it, I think. It's I I don't know a lot. I know what a yokai is, and I know what an oni is, but like there's a lot. It, it's almost like a history lesson, kind of like interacting with all these creatures, and then you can like go into your codex and like learn all of, all of these different Japanese legends. Um, and that stuff's really cool, and it makes me feel. I know, I know, Stacy, you wrote otherwise, but in some ways, I don't know how this game works outside of Tokyo, because yeah. because it's handling like it, because because Japan has such a rich history of like lore and myth, and the extreme late stage capitalism and how those things like work together or butt against each other it makes me feel like you couldn't do this game in New York because like America has no culture or history. 
Yeah, that that's the thing. I, I wrote when I came out this, I I really loved Ghostwire Tokyo because Tokyo was like the main character of the of the game. Yeah. And I feel like even though the game is relatively short compared to, you know, some of the biggest titles this year, I feel like it does an excellent job of making you know the city, love the city, be part of the city. Yeah. I'm sure they could do more. I'm not an expert on, you know, Japanese law and, and Tokyo culture. I would love for I would love for them just to say we're going to make Ghostwire Tokyo two. That'd be really cool. But when I wrote about it being in different places, I wrote about my own hometown, which is never in video games. Which you know has a, we do have actually some like local myths and legends. There's a story about a worm that gets dropped down a well and it comes back and becomes a leech that eats a whole town. <laughs> um, like, but I mentioned that specifically. There are just there are other parts of Japan that we never really see in games. This yeah. is a new version of Tokyo. But we've been at Tokyo games before. Like I meant, like the Mario game is a Mario game set there. Persona is set there. Uh, the World Ends with You is set there. Like they're all set on that that one um, cross section as well. Yeah. So I would very happily take us to our Tokyo too. I'm sure there are other stories in Tokyo and Japanese culture to tell, but I also think there are other towns in, you know, rural places in Japan. There are other parts of Asia which have different, you know, cultural stories that really get told. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be really cool to see this. You know, we've had a few games that are Japanese and Asian that have not been made by Japanese or Asian people. This one is not. You know, it's it's authentic, I suppose, in that regard. Mm-hmm. And it would be cool to see that authentic authenticity applied to. A place that isn't Tokyo, because I f- I already feel I know quite a bit about Tokyo in the way that I feel I know a little bit about uh, London, New York, and, and Berlin, and you know all the major cities around the world that already are part of pop culture, and we we know about them in a cultural sense. I don't have that for a saga, yeah, and I'm sure there's a culture there that could be told by you know people who who know the city authentically who were um learned that culture as a child in the same way that I've just told that really weird story about the Lampton worm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, it's, this is so specifically Tokyo. It would need to be, as you say, like authentic to wherever it takes place. And I, w- I guess I would just hate to lose that sort of uh, overwhelming subjugation of the working class that sort of permeates through this this whole game. Like it would need to take place it, it, Tory Britain. <laughs> yeah. Speaking about it make, you can of the working class. You feel that with Tokyo. With like yeah, the, I think, the, I think that's the work a, I think that's a culture great point. of Tokyo. Yeah, like um, you could explore similar legends and similar like there's probably something fascinating to be ta- talked about, like what's the opposite of urban? Like, rural. Rural. Like, rural. I don't know why I could figure like, <laughs> ex- like rural Japan, like if it went to Okinawa or Kyoto or places like that. Or yeah, I think that would be fascinating. Like, but as you said, like it's so ingrained in Japanese legend, folklore, and and customs. I suppose that taking it out of there could be difficult, but I think it could be done. Yeah, I think I think the I I really like that idea of the the legends being kind of part of the story, and then the culture of the the working man being another part of the story, and that kind of that combination is really cool. And like, I'm just not enough of an expert on. Japanese culture. So if you did it in this city, that would be really cool because, you know, I could say for um, in the UK, 
the first city when I think of things like that is a place like Preston. That was the start of the Industrial Revolution. Um, really the start. That's a city that Charles Dickens wrote about a lot from London as being like a London of the North, not because it was even that productive, but because it was a place that workers came from, was a place where yeah. the first factories were made. A lot of what at the time were technological advancements were made in Preston and taken to London. I wonder if Japan has a Preston that we don't know about, because you don't know what Preston is. You, this is not a city you've heard of. This is not a thing that's, you know, in mm-hmm. cultural knowledge outside of Britain. Yeah. Um, it would be cool to see Japan's Preston, which has that history of the working man, that has that um, spirit of the underclass, and have a story be told in that way, where it's not surrounded necessarily by skyscrapers and hyper-modern culture and scenes that we've seen a lot in yeah. modern media. But I would happily just take Ghost Where Tokyo 2. It's a great game yeah, to make a sequel. I know. I know. I, it's just that, like, the, the authenticity um, that you mentioned, it's w- when I compare it to, like, the uh, Western-made games about Japan, it's so obvious that this is a game made by a, its own culture. It's, like, so apparent when you play this game. And I guess my dream would be that, like, studios other studios around the world could make ghostwire about their own culture yeah <laughs> um, yeah that, which that is not cool. something we... that happens but yeah it's just the ghostwire name give it to anyone <laughs> yeah no but we could like we'd someone someone will create someone will know about a game that like has this but i feel like the only time i see africa in video games is when like globe trying people go there like there's a couple of tomb Raider levels that are in africa i think there's Resident Evil level. Resident Africa, five, like, yeah, that game's very yeah. racist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, Uncharted... Does Uncharted go to Africa? I mean, probably at some point. I can't even remember, but in, you know what I mean? Like, this... Yeah. But that's another thing with such... Yeah, of course. That's another place with such, like, a rich... Um, so many rich cultural stories. More, Obviously, far more than Japan, because Africa's huge. Yeah. Um, and... Doesn't necessarily, it doesn't need to be a Ghostwire game that is called, you know, Ghostwire Addis Ababa. Sure. But a game that, you know, explores culture in, in that way by the people who've made it, not by tourists. I know people like Ghost of Tsushima. I know they were, like, made cultural ambassadors of the island or whatever. It was still tourism. It's yeah. Two things can be true. If I was Mr. Tsushima, right, if I was, like, the guy who ran Tsushima, I was the president, and someone made a really popular video game about my island... Embrace I would them. embrace them because yeah, it would, it would of course, it of doesn't course. mean that everything they've done is perfectly authentic and that everything about the game is, um, it's, it's really weird how often people hold that up as that's like, what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like it weird. doesn't mean that everything in the game is perfect or that it's free from criticism because a guy who stands to make a lot of money from Shishima getting good press right. partners with the one piece of media ever that has talked about Shishima. <laughs> right. Like it, take what you I, mean, I, yeah, I, right? I still think somebody who, I mean, they weren't even, they weren't even, the game. <laughs> the yeah. how <laughs> absurd would that be? Just, <laughs> just turn down all of the money and say, no. Yeah. But also, there were no katanas in the era that <laughs> the game is set. No, they get like, like, with katanas. Like, You're like, it, oh yeah, well, that's a liberty we'll take. Otherwise, the game will be shit. <laughs> it can it can be welcomed by the people of 
not even the people of Shishima, but the tourist board of Shishima. It right. can be welcomed by the tourist board of Shishima and still be cultural tourism. Mm, of and I, I think Ghostwire and this hypothetical game that I'm making up that I want to see that embraces African myths that I don't know about, I think those kind of authentic experiences just offer another layer. You know, you're not a bad person. You're not a racist because you like Shishima. You're not like a horrible person who um, hates Asian people and believes in white power. But you still have to understand that a game about your own city, your own place, your own culture will always have stronger cultural roots than a story about a place that you read about in a book. Right. Yeah. Or that you and, saw in Kurosawa films and then put black and white on it and said, this will do. Yeah. yeah that's and it, it, It's just, it's absolutely undeniable when you play this game. Like yeah. the, the comparison is so obvious. Mm. And of course, like Ghostwire takes liberties with some of these myths to fit into its story and its world. Like it's not doing every, like, I'm pretty sure that the Japanese myth about the Tengu is not that they float around rooftops and wait for you to grappling hook yeah, on. Yeah, they grapple for <laughs> If you look it up, Eric. <laughs> but but at the same time, you you can see the authenticity so clearly, uh, and that's a really special thing about this game. I I can't decide though if this is a like hidden gem or if it's just a slow burn, like. I know that we're not the only three people that appreciate this game in the world, but do, does this seem like something that's com- going to go completely overlooked, or do you think people are going to come around to it like they came around to Prey after years and years? I, hope I it's the last yeah, I I think it has a chance of people coming around to it. I am. Um, I wrote something that will be out by the time this podcast comes out. I think. Weirdly, I think Breath of the Wild dropping out of this year changes the whole complexion of this year. Definitely. Because we've had a load of really big games at the start of the year, which we don't normally get. But usually we'd have the next few months would be a load of big releases. Yeah. Like I, I looked up of like the major games of last year, and I would say the first major game we had of last year was It Takes Two. Yeah. That came out four days ago. Like wow. last year, like oh, the 26th. And think how many games we've had in that time. We, we Elden, didn't have Resident Evil either? I thought nope. that, that felt mm. earlier. Nope. Wow. Resident, Resident Evil was That's the month the after. May, I think. Yeah. May, May 7th. Can I look that up as well? Because I also thought was Resident Evil earlier. Yeah. So we've had a load of really big games this year, really early, and now we've got yeah. a lull. And it feels like, oh, there's no games out. But that's because there were loads of games out. Yeah. I think people now have time to catch up. And I think the way this year is going to go is there were supposed to be a couple of like, big hits through the year. Um, you know, Starfield's going to be obviously one that still comes out. I'm not entirely sure if God of War will. I think because now there's a gap, we are hopefully going to see people catching up on some of the games that have come out. Whether that be, as we've just discussed, Tiny Tina, maybe as it comes to PlayStation Plus when that thing launches in, in June. Mm-hmm. Um, whether people check out Kirby. I think at this point, everyone who's going to play Elden Ring has played it. Maybe it's people who um, let go of, El- of uh GT7 and Horizon because of Elden Ring come to those, and hopefully somebody comes to Ghostwire. I don't yeah. know how well it sold on its first day. I don't know like what it's how successful it was immediately, but I hope over the next kind of few weeks and months, while we have a little bit of a lull, really, by by my count, Saints Row is the next big major game that we have coming out. We have like Mario Strikers and Wii Sports that I uh, Switch Sports that yeah, I don't think it'll move the needle very much. So there's a long time now for people who are into games enough to. Try to play all the big games in the year to catch up on the 
the ones that they're interested in. It's also I worth think we, considering. Oh, sorry. We have a, no, I was going to say, I think we have a, a gap now where people can catch up, and I hope they use that time to catch up on Ghostware, because it's the one that has been, in my opinion, most overlooked, and in my opinion, the most in need of attention, because it's a new IP, it's experimental. If it doesn't sell well or become an established hit fairly soon, it doesn't matter what we think where the sequel should be, it's not getting one. Yeah. It's also in kind of a weird place as like the final PlayStation exclusive Bethesda game. Yeah. I hadn't so, even heard that, yeah. Yeah, it's a really it's a really weird one. Because uh, obviously they're, they're gonna be Xbox. Much like Deathloop, it will be on Game Pass permanently because it Tagger yeah. Gameworks is a Microsoft studio, so there's a second lease of life there, I suppose. Yeah, that's a good that. point. Same for Deathloop. Don't know how long the period is. I know for Deathloop was a year, wasn't it? I don't I know how long it is. Year, but it's two. Typically, yeah. Yeah, I I, I want to see this game succeed. Uh, I also recognize that it's going to be. It's always going to be niche. Um, Horror games in general, new IPs in general, short games in general. Yeah, I don't think it takes a lot of boxes for Smash Hit. Right. Yeah. But it doesn't need to be a Smash Hit. That it's what. 20 hours long, maybe. Um, you know, it's, it hasn't been made to be an 80-hour hit that takes up all of your time. It's made by a studio who specializes in cult games and you know, Evil Within. They, they weren't blockbusters. Right. No, they weren't hit. So I, I think, I, I hope, especially given how much creative control there seems to have been over the project, I hope Bethesda and Microsoft aren't, um, you know, banking on silly numbers. I hope mm-hmm. they will see critical success, recouping its budget, making a little bit of profit, adding value to Game Pass, all those things as success. And they won't be like expecting it a challenge Elden Ring because it's yeah. just not going new. Yeah, on the chopping block. Come on. <laughs> it's the it's the exact kind of game that's at risk uh as you know studios continue continue to consolidate and AAA games get more and more expensive and everybody's mm-hmm. just looking for the Elden Ring Call of Duty money on uh return on on everything yeah. they make this is the kind of game that i fear doesn't get made in 5 mm. years anymore yeah and of the 3 games that came out on last friday Kirby's safe because it's Kirby yeah. Very safe established property for Nintendo is always going to be have a game every few years. Tiny Teen has part of Borderlands, which as we just discussed is Gearbox's big hit. They whether or not we get a Tiny Tina sequel, Borderlands is definitely gonna keep going. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, this is the one that could just die. Uh, just won't do any more Ghost Wire Tokyo. It's like there's no any more praise. Yeah. Breaking my heart. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Unnes- <laughs> unnecessary drive by at the end. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, play this game. Absolutely. Special game. Okay, uh, let's take a break. We'll come back for Kirby. The Kirby crew is here. We're back with George Foster. Hello, hello. Jay King's here. Hello. And his podcast debut, Chris Sanfilippo. What up? Okay, so uh, have we all played Kirby? Let's start there. Yes. I've done some sucking. I've played my Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like growing up, Kirby was like the ultimate spam character in Super Mario. I mean, sorry, in Smash Bros. Whoa. 
Um, oh my god, yeah, you just suck up everyone just to like make them mad. Or use the hammer, or no, I do the thing where you turn into the, the weight block. and smash people. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> his hammer sucks, but his block is just like a straight KO every time. Oh, yeah. Or like if you get kicked off the stage and it's just like, well, I'm just gonna hover on back. <laughs> it's kind of wild to me how many Kirby games there are. More than mm. you'd think. Like, way more than you'd oh, think really? they were free on the 3ds and they were all great like there's lots of nintendo franchises like yoshi gets his own games of course we got mario and zelda metroids in the mix but kirby we have a kirby game like every year pretty much yeah. <laughs> like, kirby gets fun. free to play games and none of them are huge hits ever I think maybe one, this think. this might yeah. be the big one. This might yeah. be the the mainstream Kirby popper. Why does Kirby get so much development? Do you think he's like he's he's a very simplistic and lovable mascot character that's like relatively easy to iterate upon and and place into different scenarios? Like he's just a a dude. He's he's just a ball that swallows things. He's just a good little guy. He's, he's just a little, he's just a, what's that meme? Like, I'm just a silly little dude. Little, like, little <laughs> you don't want to fight me. That's Kirby. <laughs> also, like, all of his games recently, besides Star Allies, which was, like, the last big one, they're all kind of just Kirby Fighters 2 or Kirby Clash mm. 4 or whatever. Like, they're the same thing, but slightly iterated on. So, I guess that's why you get so many as well. In the last five years... Just the last five years, Kirby Planet Robobot, Team Kirby Clash Deluxe, Kirby's Blowout Blast, Kirby Battle Royale, Kirby Star Allies, Kirby's Extra Epic Yarn, Super Kirby Clash, Kirby Fighters 2, and Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Nine. Wow. Nine games. What? <laughs> what the hell? Good. That's ten. I I'd count that as ten. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, okay. Kirby in the Forgotten Land. George, you reviewed, right? Yes, I did. You were very enthusiastic when we saw... Uh, the premiere. I remember, or the the reveal. I remember oh, yeah. on the podcast, you were. I've been a long time Kirby fan ever since uh, Kirby and the Amazing Mirror. That was like the starting point for me. Ooh, uh, and then I played like every single one since then. You're so and... young. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <I> know. <laughs> Fourteen year old George Foster. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I was like, what was my first Kirby game? Kirby's Dream Land, the first Kirby game. <laughs> I'm oh a million God. years old. It was, was the first Smash Kirby game. I'm a Smash Brothers Melee, but that doesn't even count. <laughs> uh, and then since then, Kirby games have kind of just been like fine. You know, like Robobot was really good. Robobot's good, Deluxe yeah. Was good. Deluxe was, yeah, those were really solid. But then Star Allies was like a big wet fart of nothing like that just that did nothing for me i thought all. that was free to play that game was 50 pounds on the eShop. yeah yeah and it's so short and it uh yeah it, it like it's not bad because even like a okay kirby game is like still you know still fun but it wasn't anything special mm -hmm. um and i've been saying well i'm not the only one everyone's been saying for years that kirby needs to go 3d go big go do something new mm -hmm. um so when they when they showed off the forgotten land it was like oh my god they've listened this like this is what people want and um, we didn't even know about mouthful mode back then. No, no, no like, that was that was revealed like a few weeks back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the big mouth sucking. Ma man, mouthful mean. mode. I've full disclosure, never played like a mainline Kirby game before. I feel like growing up, like my brother and I had a GameCube, but mostly I was like a big PlayStation, sometimes Xbox guy, mm -hmm. and I played the demo today to get ready for the podcast and oh my gosh like 
I mean, granted, there's no bar, standard bar for me because I, you know, I'm coming in cold. But like, uh, being able to like suck up a car, be a traffic <laughs> cone, I'm just like, yes, I will be. Go- I will be like garbage on the street. I love it. It's like <laughs> amazing. Ollie, yeah. anything. Twenty bucks is twenty bucks. Step on me, <laughs> kick me in the gutter. I don't give a shit. When you're like a vending machine, I'm like, oh, the vending machine, the hole in the vending machine unsettles me. All the- <laughs> <laughs> there's one, there's one stage at the end of the first world where you turn into like an O on a sign, and he's just like a giant circular mouth just blowing, and it's yeah. it's like, oh my god, this game is filthy. There, there are some, there are some good ones. I, to, to be controversial, I don't know whether this is obviously part of my review, but like mouthful mode is fun, and it's great to talk about, and it's a great meme, but like as far as okay, let's back up a bit. So Kirby games, they always have two like main gimmicks, right? They have the yeah. copyability gimmick, which in this case is blueprint upgrades, and they're pretty cool, and then they have the inhale gimmick. So if you think of like something like Triple Deluxe, that had the one where he did like hypernova, and he could just like suck up anything ever. That was like that game. was the mech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one, mouthful mode, is like it's better than Star Allies one, which was just have some AI partners. But I, 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 I didn't like come away loving it. I was like, oh, that made me smile. Like I'm happy with that. But like, I don't think gameplay wise, it did too much. It was just like, aesthetically, it's twist. like, oh my god. But like, I suppose yeah, from a mechanical, yeah. it's used to progress in some stages, and there's a few instances where you have to use mouthful mode to reach a secret waddle d or complete a contextual challenge in the world like yeah. that circle from a sign i mentioned earlier i think there's like a a, a bonus waddle d if you complete the sign on the roof yeah. by walking into place like those oh, are cool sucked yeah it does feel somewhat minimal like yeah mm. it's definitely not as prevalent as like mario odyssey capture mechanic yeah yeah just not like even everywhere close. you go you can that, that's the comparison right like it's i feel like it, it's set up same as blueprint upgrades which i'll get to in a little bit but it feels like it's set up perfectly for when they do kirby in the forgotten land 2 and they've got it sort of down so they know what mouthful mode is mm-hmm. and suddenly they have like 20 of them instead of like six in this one then it will feel really cool and unique and maybe they'll have let you choose which one you want to use to go for a level that'd be cool mm-hmm. but as it is now it's more just like for hidden model d's and to progress in a level and it's cute and it's funny and like but it's nothing like brand new you know which yeah. makes me sound like a, a miserable bastard for not just enjoying kirby turning into a car which i did but you know to look at it from a gameplay standard thing it's just like it's, it's fun you know so is it also like odyssey in the sense that you have like a bunch of small open world maps or no, what, not at what's all. The, no. What's no, the layout? It's more like 3D world, where like each yeah. stage is very linear. There's oh, a few okay. like divergent paths with collectibles, and even the the overworld is 3D worldish. Like there's some optional mm. things, and I haven't gotten past the first world yet. But that's the vibe I get. Does it change, George, or is it like the it, same? It's entirely it? like 3D world the whole time. Um, okay. Which I said in my preview when I played the first world and wondered if it evolves, which it doesn't. But like to be like Super Mario 3D World, one of the best Mario games out there, that's like fantastic praise. Like mm. I was happy with that. Um, yeah, I guess I except thinking, that game's ten years old. It's not ten years old, is it? It's nine years old this year. Oh yeah. my lord! Oh wow! Okay, yeah. Jesus. 
It, uh, so, like, it's fine. It's a good format, but it's also, like, not anything new, right? Yeah, of course not. No, if, the, I think the thing that they've sort of banked on with this is that it's not new, but it is new for Kirby, right? Like, being able to move in a 3D environment as Kirby is something that we've never seen before. Like, the only time I can think... Well, we've seen it with Air Ride, which is more like a racing sort of game, and then there was Blowout Blast, which was like a 3DS exclusive mini game sort of thing. Those are yeah. the only times we've ever seen him like this. Um, and it's weird because it's it's really hard to describe. I remember when I was writing the review, I was having a tough time sort of putting it out there how that matters. But it's just like having so much more freedom to move around and then using copy abilities in more than just two directions, left or right yeah. and occasionally up. Like it's just, it's weird to say a game changer, but it, it just makes it feel more, I don't know, complete, I guess. I feel like mm-hmm. it's the thing that Kirby's been missing. Still for the mm. start of something, I suppose, like. They could oh, go in the yeah. Odyssey direction next and just make more open environments that implement. Because I could definitely see like an Odyssey esque level using this Kirby formula, where there's just loads of different objects you can mm. use mouthful mode on to complete like bespoke side quests or fun little secret puzzles, and not be the the gimmick it is here. Because because I wouldn't call Mario's hat Cappy a gimmick in Odyssey. I'd call it a central mechanic. Yeah, I agree. And fully. mouthful mode is not that in this, I don't think. No, I agree. It, it's mainly like, there are only a few examples of levels I can think of where it really feels like it's, you know, like necessary. Like there's, mm. I, I, well, I guess it's not, it's like the next world you'll play, Jade. It's like you can turn into a light bulb to light up areas and there's one level where it's almost entirely in the dark except for when you use a light bulb. That's when it felt yeah. like, okay, wow, this whole level's about that. But even even in a level that's kind of centered around car Kirby, it only uses it once or twice. You can just so it walk does feel it as just well. Like, yeah. In those instances. Like it, it's fun, but I, I don't know. It needs some like, evolution, I think. It's not like what I loved about the game. It's, it's not just, what I love about Kirby either. It sounds like you're describing like Yoshi's Island when he would just like turn to a helicopter for one part of one level. K- yeah, kind of, I guess. I, I think... They are used enough for like bonus content. So there's 300 Waddle Dees you have to rescue, and they rescue <laughs> them in, in the town. And yeah, it's, uh, it's painful. I've got them all, and it is long. And well, actually, it's not too bad. When you write about it, it's long and painful. But when you're just playing it, I think it's fine. I've got yeah. like um, 40 already. Yeah, there's there's tons of them. They are they are everywhere, and they're a lot of fun. They're probably my favorite part of the game because like the normal, just going through the levels easy like five ten minutes per level if you really concentrate and do all the secret objectives and get every single like go into every little hidden room and you look around you do all the side stuff that's when it like you get the value for it i think um it's exactly like 3d world really like with the green stars there it is literally yeah. just finding extra objectives on a second run through finishing the level isn't your objective like combing yeah. it over for all the hidden shit is mm. what you're there for exactly that yeah mm. Um, all right, let's get into the story. What's the lore? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the thing is, like, the, the running joke is always that Kirby games, like, obviously have lore at the end, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's basic when you get into it, and then at the end there's all the, like, weird stuff. I, I don't really want to talk about it because it's so weird. I don't want to spoil it for, like, any of you guys, but... Yeah. The, the feeling I got, and I, obviously the, the twist here is that it's supposed to look like, like an apocalyptic earth right yeah it's supposed to look like people have been here and now they're gone 
Um, and there are a few examples of that in like later levels where you really do get like the feeling that they're going for that, that it's supposed to be Earth. Uh, and that's really about as far as it goes, like in terms of the story, just a little like narrative theme of that. That's that's really it, you know. I know you're not expecting like <laughs> canon from Kirby, but you know that is that's its main thing. I want like 15 minute expositional cutscenes. Like, just, like <laughs> give me the fucking dirt, Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, I meant I meant to say this in my review, but I end up I end up not. Uh, before launch, this got given like a fear rating. I don't know if you guys remember that going around, like on the ESRB. Oh, like it's Peggy, violent yeah. and fear. Oh, Jesus Christ, the fear thing. What's scary in this? In this? Yeah, like, there, there was like there was one moment where I was like, oh, maybe it's this because it's kind of in the dark, the light bulb level. No, it's not that. It's not that at all. The the last like hour, I was there like, Jesus Christ, are they okay the to do that? Fucking Eldritch game? Nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> like, really? No one is ready. It turns into near automata at the end. It's, like, it's <laughs> one of the weirder ones I've seen in a Kirby game. Like I know there are like some pretty weird ones, but this one made me go like, oh god, like they're really going for it now. Oh my god, Sakura. Yeah, I, I can't wait freak. for some reactions to it because I don't want to say it here. I know we're only a couple of days out, but it's cool. Did, did you see that TikTok I put? in slack earlier this week that explains how kirby is basically like a kaiju oh i did oh my gosh what (laughs) okay i've never heard this before i think this came from the anime but basically like kirby is like a half-formed uh yeah like he didn't turn into a warrior isn't it of his thing star warrior yeah Yeah. and so he doesn't like have a much mental capacity he's kind of just like a chilled out blob unless he's either hungry basically if he's hungry like that's kind of what motivates him yeah yeah (laughs) and so and so it's best to think of kirby sort of like godzilla sort of just like this neutral force (laughs) (laughs) he's not a hero bystanders will be killed in his path but he does not mean it (laughs) yeah he's just he will suck you up but there is no malicious malicious (laughs) he's not a force for good or evil he's just kirby he's doing it for mere substance (laughs) i I, like the i've seen like some of the anime and like that definitely holds water there where he's just like they like they comment on it as well that he's like you say the star warrior that's half formed but like in Mm. this he has a, I guess, friendship with a. I think the name's Elephant. It's like the green, like rabbit floating thing. Yeah, we've seen all the promotional stuff, okay. and like before, before launch, everyone was like, "Yeah, this thing's like a, this thing's a monster just waiting to happen." Um, but the relationship between them, again, it's like really, really, really basic stuff where it's just like you get the occasional text box and like one or two cutscenes, but mm. it, you know, it, it's pretty sweet. Like Kirby clearly cares about this thing more than just like. Eating or sleeping. These <laughs> are just. I've only just started like building up the little town. How mm, big oh, does that, that cool. get? Or is it just like not very consequential to like the overall it's... game? So some of it is consequential. So one of the bigger things you will unlock, and it's the best thing you'll unlock, is the um, Colosseum. Oh, so if you yet. think of stuff okay. like, I think even Star Allies had it, like where it has challenge rooms and stuff like that. Um, there's not many cups. I think there's three of them overall, but like they're they're a lot of fun. And the first one you do, you'll get like the best uh, blueprint upgrade in the game. Like you absolutely need to get that. It's so good. Um, the rest of the stuff in the Waddle Dee Town is very much like you get the fishing mini game, and you get like an item shop, and you get 
I think it's a cooking mini game of some kind. Like it's, it, it doesn't matter, but it's nice to have some sort of reward for collecting them besides just, yeah. you know, mm. let's get a hundred percent. Like you do see stuff pop up and you see more of the Waddle Dees come around. Um, <laughs> and there, and there's like, kind of like a RPG thing going on too, right? Would you, in what way? I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I, I thought there was like upgrades. You like spend points. Oh, you the blueprint upgrades. Forms, I think. Yeah, yeah. They're really cool. So <laughs> earlier me. I mentioned about Kirby's two, like each game has two gimmicks, right? Inhale being Malfoy mode this time. Um, and for the copy abilities this time, it's blueprint upgrades. So basically every copy ability, I think there's 12 overall. They all have two or three different forms you can upgrade them into. So like sword has um, gigant sword and it has meta knight sword and it has one that I won't spoil. And basically as you go through the game, you'll like go through levels and you can find these blueprint upgrades and then you can take them back to the like blacksmith in Waddle D town and like purchase them with coins and this star currency thing. Um, and then you just get like a completely different take on the blueprint on the um, copy ability. And okay. they're pretty cool. Like the ones that, go somewhere with it are really like worth it so like the meta knight mask is incredible it is so so cool because it turns sword into just like the basic one two hit into like you can like teleport around you can Ooh. you can shoot stuff out like it's, it's the best one by far nice. um and then like bomb has like a homing bomb variant where if you chuck the bomb it will like just go towards its target which is Ooh. essential for like some of the harder levels later in the game like that thing will do bits that's amazing mm. uh and then there are some like fire just kind of turns into like lava fire and it just shoots out a bit further and does a little bit more damage and dragon fire which does the same thing but you can fly a little bit if you do like the thing in the air and that's cool but my my main this is gonna get really nitpicky here it's gonna get like kirby fanboy mode so i'm gonna start like, shaking my desk <laughs> yeah. but the copy abilities are all like they've got some good choices in here and uh ranger's cool the new gun one that's great Drill sucks. I hate it. It's pointless. It's boring. It's just like a puzzle. It's a puzzle gimmick copy ability, and I don't think it's fun yeah. at all. But if you if you count how many that are in the game, I'm pretty sure it's 12. And 12 isn't like a lot, really. They're really banking on the blueprint upgrades to like ha basically say, oh, well, we've got 35 copy abilities. It's like, no, mm. you have 12, and like half half of the other ones are just a slight variation on what you've got. Like you've got yeah. like slightly stronger ice and slightly stronger tornado. And I didn't really like that. When they go all out with it, like like they do with Hammer and Sword and like they do with like they do with Ranger as well, that feels worth it. That's like, yeah, they've really took this mechanic and, and ran with it. But for the other ones, it's like, I think I would have just preferred more copy abilities. Like I would have preferred, like where the hell's Umbrella? Where's Laser? Where's Spark? Like all of them are missing from the game. No Spark. No Spark. And you the Spark boomerang? in this game, Eric. Which one, Eric? The Boomerang? Nope. Huh. No yo-yo, no bell, no uh, wheel. They've got loads missing. And like, I kind of feel like they'll just do a Nintendo and say, hey, free upgrade. Here's like five more randomly every couple of months. But until yeah, that's happened, I can't pass. say like it's cool. Like it's mm. just 12 copy abilities kind of sucks for mm. the first big Kirby. Yeah. Um, and like I say, blueprint upgrades, when it works, it's awesome. Like this should be in every game moving forward, but don't half-ass it. You know, mm. like don't yeah. don't just give me like a slightly better thing that's not interesting. I'd rather they went like weird of it. Give us like variants instead of upgrades. It shouldn't just be make this power stronger. It should be 
fire, but now you can like shoot it as fireballs instead of like a specific straight line, you know? That's how they should do it. And I think maybe they well, I don't know if they will. I don't think they listen to me, but that's They're that listening would be right now, George. Yeah, Nintendo. Listen to me. Just do what I say. Uh, but it, it works though. It's cool. Better than Malfa mode, in my opinion. Has the music. Great. Yeah. It's it's the same as the graphics where it's just you go into you go into any Nintendo game, like first party, like big ones, music's great, looks great, yeah. feels great. Um I was a bit worried when they did like i think it's the second trailer the frame rate looked kind of off i was like yeah the, fr- oh, the frame rate's a bit dodge at some points because it's, yeah, it's only like, 30 fps there's some moments where i'm like oh okay yeah it can handle it like just about but there are a few times where i was like sometimes like I, I'm, I remember now it's like if you use car kirby and you like knock into stuff it, i think it slows down on purpose but i can't really tell if it's like meaning to do it or if it's like a limitation of the switch oh, shit. Oh, like if it's like an yeah. impact effect or if it's like no, the Switch can't do this. Furious. It's hard to tell. But it does yeah. look and sound great besides that. Uh, that's just going to get worse and worse. Mm. You recommend? Yes. Best Kirby game. I wouldn't say... Uh, I don't know if I'd go as far to say ever, because that's like... You know, it's been a week since I've like fully completed it. I want to give it a bit of time to think about it but it's definitely in the top three and it's definitely mm-hmm. where kirby should go next like they keep they've done some interviews recently where they're like we're not sure if we're gonna you know if this is the norm for kirby now i'm like it's gonna be the norm look at the sales look at the scores like kirby matters right now because yeah. you did something with him so this is gonna be what it is from now on and i'm i'm so happy about that stacy says you're fucking up if you don't play it on easy mode i i, get, get good, I can Stacey. see why because it's Stacey. like it's not it's wow it's weird because it gets like stacy's point is that there's no point putting it on like normal because you don't need to because it's not challenging in any sort of way right Mm -hmm. and i i completely agree for the main campaign and then you get to like the like uh what they're called i think it's called like another road or something like that and there's like another coliseum thing you can do that is hard as balls man that is like really tough like, I was sat here, like, I was sweating, I was crying, I was like, why is Kirby going to me up, man? <laughs> <laughs> and then that point, well, actually, maybe Stacey's got a point, because on easy mode, I probably wouldn't have been fine, but... <laughs> <laughs> I take it all back. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, Stacey's right, never mind. Uh, Alright, is that it? Yeah, that's it from me. Jade, how are you, how are you two finding it? Like, Chris, I know you said you played the demo, but exciting. Looking forward to it. You're going to get it? I mean, I'm thinking, I'm definitely like thinking about it. I mean, my money's kind of tight right now, but if I get the opportunity, I think I would. Yeah. Um, Because like, it's a, there is something just really like for some, like for someone new to the series, I think this is just a great showcase of how unique this character is and i think you get that right away i do see where you're coming from where you're where you know with mouthful mode and those limits and how it could improve and that makes a lot of sense because i could see it getting old playing on especially when it's just like a small group of items that you know you always know when you have to use them to get to a certain place but Mm. like i'm like for an entry level Kirby game, I'm like very, very intrigued. Yeah. 
no, that, I think you've summed up perfectly. Like this is, if I had to show someone a Kirby game for the first time, this would be exactly what I chose. And before that, it was a tough, you know, it's a tough pick before that. Cause you don't want to choose Star Allies because that game's shit. Like <laughs> you have to go <laughs> yeah. all the way back to something on 3DS, I guess. Jade, I'm excited to hear what you think about it though, especially when you uh, get to like <laughs> the Eldritch Horrors. That's gonna. That's gonna oh, I need now you've mentioned it. I need to, but yeah, it's a very comfortable platformer. It's become my bedtime game. Like yeah, oh, a sleepy I'll, time game. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I play I a totally... few dreams of Kirby. Yeah, I play a few levels before bed, and it's it seems and collecting stuff in that game is really. It's not hard to find anything, and it's rewarding. And I love those kind of platforms. As as George said, like it feels like almost like a spiritual successor to the template of Super Mario 3D World. And while while that doesn't push the boat out or try anything new, it's really fun and comfortable. And I'm hoping it will be the start of something new for Kirby. Like they won't backtrack now and go back to doing like 2.5D games like Triple Deluxe. They'll just keep hammering on this formula, especially now he's on Switch. And there's, he's not like relegated to the 3DS. Mm. Right on. Uh, I'm gonna play it. We just got blasted with new games. Too many. Yeah, we did too blasted. many. But I'll get around to it. Um, okay, that'll do it for the show this week. Next week uh, we have Weird West, which I am reviewing. Uh, we weird. have. Uh, what else? Midnight Ghost Hunt is finally. I'm playing launching. Chrono Cross. Is that out next week? Oh, Chrono really? Cross is out on the seventh. Lego yes. Star Wars. Pretty sure I can talk Lego about that. Lego Star Wars on the fifth. Yeah, Lego Star Wars too. That, then it's yeah. quiet for a bit. We have a bit of a respite for like a month, I think. Yeah, yeah, but we got a few more things uh, next week and a little bit the week after. So we we'll on down to Gamer Town, you know. <laughs> That's our catchphrase. <laughs> 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 all right thank you all and we'll see you next week